Welcome to the Arena Deckless Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined by Brian Gottlieb, and the show's going to be weird. It's going to be weird. I guess we're recording on December 29th, which is pretty close to the end of 2022. And I messaged Brian with a, I don't know what the hell we're going to do this week. Brian was like, let's review all the releases this year. And I thought about it. I was like, oh man, can we do four sets in one episode? And he was like, no, literally every magic release. Everything that has happened in the world of Magic the Gathering. We've now expanded the Listen. scope even beyond that, beyond just releases. We found this amazing wiki, mtg.fandom.com slash wiki slash 2022. If you want to follow along, this dude, this might be a three-parter, man. I don't know. A lot of things happened. A lot of things happened. We're going to have more to say about some than others. Knowing us, we'll probably find something to say about almost everything. I think this is one episode's worth of material. Could be we get into it. And like, no, that's not true. uh, We'll see what happens. Uh, Maybe we get to like March and I'm like, all right, that's it. We got to call it here. But we're going to try and recap. 2022 if we get halfway and we've we've gone over time we can we can come back to this next week and and you know it'll technically be in the new year still think the time will be right for recapping 2022 and you know we're kind of waiting for spoilers to trickle out as they are right now so that'll that'll be where we go after this if you're not so interested in recapping 2022 which i get like for the past few years i've been kind of uninterested in reliving or recapping anything about the years we've experienced, but it should be an interesting and illustrative trip down memory lane. Yeah, we got a Kaito basically since our preview show, right? And that's about yeah. it. Yeah, I think that's the only uh, officially confirmed thing that has come up is is a Kaito, a pretty interesting card. But I'm I'm fine with just tabling that for the time being yeah. until we get some more stuff to talk about. Yeah, wait till he's got some friends to talk about. So. All right, are we going to talk about just the releases, or you no, want to go through like everything? I want, I want to go through each of these items. I, I think they're all interesting, like somewhat, kind of. All right, uh, January 4th, release of the first basic land of the Secret Lair drop series, the Astrology Lands. Let me tell you, being, being single, being on dating apps, a lot of folks, big fans of astrology, did not know that, having huh. like been in... like. There were periods of me being single, right? But like for basically like the last decade, I've I've usually been in a relationship, and I don't I don't get it. But it is popular enough, I suppose, that they're going to make a secret lair about it. I've I've never had an astrologist really be a large part of my life, either uh, as a relationship or a family member. My mom is kind of into psychics, which. Uh, I have had this conversation many times with her and it's just like talking to a wall. So (laughs) hold on, hold on, hold on. You remember when I got the email? Yes. What was it even about? It was something about like, you know, we're interested in like having you advertise on our network, our psychic network or whatever. I I think they wanted to advertise with us. They wanted us to do like ads for their psychic network. And we did come up with a very good response to to their inquiry. (laughs) I, I, I forget the exact thing that you had me send them, but it was something along the lines of, well, you already know that I was going to decline. So why'd you even send this email? Something like that. That it is was, why there has not been psychic, psychic it was ads. Absolutely brilliant. I loved it so much. And yeah, you know, so far the podcast has been ad free for a while. So there you go. Yeah. 
<laughs> we just take the opportunity to dunk on potential <laughs> sponsors. I have no idea why we are failing to sell ad space on oh, our podcast. Oh, man. Dude, I don't care how much they're willing to pay us because just being able to fire off that email worth was it. worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was definitely worth it. And it, dude, it wasn't even one of those things where like, oh, I'm going to post this for Twitter cloud or whatever. It's like, no, that one was just for me. Like that was my satisfaction and that was enough. No, very satisfying response. Uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know what it is. Like, I, I am not, I guess, culturally in tune enough to know whether astrology was the correct choice for a secret layer. I'm assuming, like everything else, it probably sold a bunch. People probably enjoyed it. They, they look very nice. I think they're very nice looking lands. And I will say, as far as things to customize, I sort of wish they did more lands and less other stuff. Like, if you made. 40 billion variants of lands. I would never get that upset about it as long as you had like the mana symbol on there somewhere. It's where you're making actual cards with rules text where it gets a little sticky for me. So I I think there are good things to make variants of and lands are number one on my list. So I agree with that, but there is a problem with that, right? Is that even when they weren't going completely ham with making cool looking lands, I still had a lot of different versions of lands that were among my favorites and it was difficult to choose them for what decks I was playing. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we just have so many at this point. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of similar to me, uh, you know, like buying an avatar or just like a pet on arena where it's like, you only need one. The raccoon. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Or, (laughs) uh, popped on arena the other day. I guess this wasn't a pet. This was, this was an avatar, but there's just like a, an onigiri, avatar okay which uh spoiler that comes up later on maybe that'll be in part two of the cast i don't know if we'll get to it because it's kind of later in the year it's in august i think but i was like why the hell is there an onigiri thing it was like the first time i'd ever seen it but yeah it's about as ridiculous as it sounds yeah that could be anything any anything's possible anyway i i agree with you i think cool lands are cool and giving people the ability to customize is awesome it's just really sad and weird where I mean, it's different for us, maybe, because we're going to like a tournament, we play the tournament, and then probably like take that deck apart and start building a deck for the next tournament. Whereas people just have like tens and maybe like hundreds of commander decks built. And those things have a very specific entity at the forefront of it, your commander, right? And maybe different lands go with that commander or whatever. Or you want to customize a deck in a certain way, like this deck is themed around whatever. So that makes more sense to me. If if people are incentivized to like build and keep and maintain lots of different decks, then you get to use all the different cool basic lands versus like, oh, I'm playing mono red. I guess I'll use 20 of my favorite mountains or whatever. Non-rotating high identity is a huge, huge recipe for success. Uh, yeah. One, one that flesh and blood honed it on very quickly and one of the best things about the game is that stuff doesn't rotate you can personalize your hero people identify with their heroes and you know the commander space was wizard's first real success i don't, I don't even, I won't even say wizards the game's first real success at doing so and that is where all these things find their home now it's why you can sell so many versions of this strange how much commercial foresight is present in a variant of the game that was designed to have none of that it was just like we like this stuff it's cool and somehow it became the absolute blueprint to how to make a successful 
TCG to sell. So we just talked about how we're mostly ad free. Yeah. But flesh and blood is not paying us or rather they're not paying me to advertise. They, they do. They do pay me. Yeah. 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 I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Next up. Uh, this is this is going to be a common theme, I think. Release of Commander Collection Black. Uh, a lot of Commander products or products aimed at Commander players. This is January 28th. And oh, I guess I'm skipping the Chris Cox thing because I, I just want to do releases. Okay, fine. January 5th, Chris Cox, president of Wizards of the Coast, named CEO of Hasbro. Do we care about this? It's, we could. I mean, we could, we, I, could say, we could say something about it if we wanted to. All, all I'll say is that like Chris Cox is... Probably a very good CEO, probably, and that means nothing for his impact on Magic and what Magic has become under his watch. But one of the things a CEO should be good at is getting buy-in from people uh, that makes your company more money. Essentially, right. like your job is to get your higher-level management on board with your vision. And man, he must be really good at that because he's gotten a lot of people to reverse their thinking on Magic the Gathering and buy in wholesale to what he's selling. And then made money and made enough money to get promoted to CEO of Hasbro. And I don't know, maybe maybe things are, are different there, but certainly things were ripe at Wizards for him to be able to just like, let's print a bunch of products and make a bunch of money. I don't know if there's more diminishing returns in the land of Hasbro or not, but, or, or if like that's even the game plan for him at Hasbro. I don't know. I haven't really been paying attention, but I I think that by a lot of metrics, you could say that his, his tenure at Wizards was a success for the company, at least if you're, you know, like a shareholder or like a Hasbro exec or something, which is by, by any metrics that, like people who make these type of determinations would use. Yes, it was a success. Yeah. People like us may want to use different metrics, but that's ultimately irrelevant. Correct. So uh, he's gone. We got someone new, whatever. Cool. 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 All right. January 28th, release of Commander Collection Black. A lot of things pointed at Commander, only sold at WPN stores. I love this. Uh, there's a lot I want to say about this and maybe sometime in the future. I don't know. But more things should be done to support local stores, in my opinion. And it feels like we're getting less of that, not more of that. Agree. And I I also think what was assigned to WPN stores was sort of off in some ways. And I think we're going to get to that really more with this next product than the Commander Collection Black, which I have no real opinion on. Uh, I I don't know how successful it was, but uh, the WPN point is salient for sure. The the commander collection stuff is is cool as hell. I think it's uh, it looks like yeah new arts on all of these, and they're they're just like for the most part pretty popular cards, and gives them a vehicle to reprint things that might not fit in specific commander decks or whatever their other releases are, and just I don't know you just get to put a bunch of like fan favorites and generally not overplayed but like widely played cards into people's hands, which I think is just a net good thing. Yeah, looks like eight cards present here. Uh, it, I, I guess it's good that it goes into the WPN stores because this is, again, an example of just like looking to reap the benefits of the secondary market, like supplanting the role of the store and being the ones who would generally benefit from the explosion of popularity of these cards, uh, at least as the system has existed, you know, five, ten years ago. So 
happy they're in WPN stories. But there is an element of like cannibalism that's going on here as well with all these releases. No, certainly. But that's sort of evergreen. Yeah, no, that's true. All right. Uh, ooh, also January 28th, two releases on the same day. Come on. Release of Innistrad double feature, which was the black and white art treatment. Both, bad. both the sets mixed together. What is even a mana symbol? Also, I don't know. It, it's it's stuff like this that makes me think about the magic experience for people who are like, you know, color impaired or whatever. Sure. Now, now I'm kind of seeing things through your eyes, right? Where it's like, ah, oh, if I can't tell the difference between colors, like this sucks. It's a lot harder, a lot harder for sure. And uh, I mean, like if you wanted to do like a secret layer, black and white, and then donate some money to charities that help color blindness, is that a real thing? I don't, I don't know if that exists or not, but like you get what I'm saying, like some, some way to acknowledge the issue that a lot of people face and somehow benefit that community. That would be really cool. This was just a bad product, like with zero foresight designed to look worse than probably any magic product to ever come before it or since it, in my estimation. Like it was it was just really bad and really hard to understand how it got greenlit. I, I mean, I do know that like sometimes you have this vision for things and then it goes to the printer and you get it back and you're like, oh, shit, this was not the vision. And but you're kind of stuck at that point. But So my guess is that they had done black and white looking stuff in the past and as a sole entity, like looking at a single card, you're like, oh, this looks looks really cool, right? And then you play an entire set. Like, what if my entire deck was like this? Well, then it becomes bad, Yeah. right? (laughs) Yeah, so the the Junji Ito uh, secret layer is primarily black and white and it looks amazing, but that is a very different thing than all of the cards are black and white. Yeah, and then it's also a matter of who wanted you to remix this into two sets and like, who was this product for? And I like the fact that, well, if you don't like the remix set thing, maybe you like the art treatments. And so they're kind of like combining that so that a product can be aimed at multiple different groups of people or whatever. But I think it, it mostly just kind of like failed on the yep. trick. Yep. I think it didn't, it, it was targeted at a lot of people and it hit none of them. Yeah. Also, allegedly only sold at WPN stores. You said you had more to say about that. Uh, no, I, I think I've, I've said that at this point. Oh, I, I didn't know if this was a thing that like that that ended up not being the case or something. No, I, I just like the the idea that WPN stores could get cool stuff mm. and then you actually saddled them with this absolute stinker of a product is yeah, somewhat this, problematic. This, yeah, this thing that just does not sell. And, and obviously that was not intentional. Like there's there's no... There's no idea like, oh, we're going to get these WPN stores by selling them this thing. I I think they thought they had a good product. Right. But yeah, un- unfortunate consequence. Ooh, all right. February 17th, Secret Lair Drop Series, February Super Drop. Uh, What? <laughs> includes, a lot of words. Includes Street Fighter. Uh, oh, man, there's a lot of different ones. Yeah. Looks like eight. Yep. Yeah, I don't know, man. What? It, this is this is where things sort of ramp up a little bit. Looking at eight different secret layers here. Uh, Street Fighter, introducing Kaido Shizuki, Kamigawa, the manga, the cards, Lil Walkers, Pictures of the Floating World, Shades Not Included, Showcase, Neon Dynasty, Special Guest, Yuko Shimizu. 
that is the the drops here. So I, I don't have anything to say beyond the universes beyond Street Fighter one. Just it's it's just a lot of product that's going to be a theme throughout, and not really anything to say about that. If you like those products, cool. Street Fighter one, big disappointment for me because I I love Street Fighter and sort of my theory with universes beyond is like all right at some point they're going to hit on this thing that I love and all of this trepidation of mixing magic worlds will go away. And I'll be like, Oh, it's so awesome to see these iconic things that I have such affinity for in this space that I also love. And all of my trepidation will fly out the window and I'll just go great. Finally, we got to the thing for me. I was waiting for this the whole time at universes beyond. Nope. I don't feel that way. I love street fighter. I've played every street fighter going back to the original street fighter. I remember like, finding that in arcades as a kid. For some reason, I remember it as a game that was often in rest stops along the highways in New York. <laughs> and like, so whenever my family would go anywhere, getting a chance to put a quarter in Street Fighter was very exciting for me. Yeah, just a game a huge amount of affinity for, and the secret layer did nothing for me. It felt out of place. It felt like a cash grab. And it just really cemented the idea that it wasn't about universes beyond not hitting on the right properties for me. It's that I don't like the concept and I prefer magic remain its own universe do you think anything had to do with like the designs of the cards were like if if one of them you felt was just an awesome implementation of a character you liked then things would be different i don't think so i really that's that's the place i started from that's what i assumed i was waiting for i assumed i was missing it just really i i don't i haven't seen any evidence of that yet like there has been nothing where it's like oh this is the card i've been waiting for have to get this one. They all just feel like cash-ins to me. It feels like Funko Pops. And I, I think like had it been done in smaller doses, you can make a way better case that at time like the time when they hit your cash-in is going to feel very special. It's going to be like, yes, finally we got we did my thing. They're just gonna do everything. They're gonna do every property that will license themselves out. And so there is no specialness, uniqueness behind it anymore. And the whole concept is just a miss for me. Yeah. It's it's weird too because one of the things that would hit for me is is like Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy Seven, stuff like that. You know, it's like that that's yeah. my childhood, right? Like that's they're a, doing it, right? The and, Final and, Fantasy ones are coming, and they're doing it. But the thing is, is like there's a literal Final Fantasy trading card game. True. You know, it's like if I wanted like a Cloud or uh you know Terra or Kane or whatever <laughs> card, I could just get it from going to the official source. So. It, I don't know, you know, put, putting those things in into magic is weird, especially to me. Street Fighter is one v one. Right. Yep. And it's just weird to be like, all right, you know, Chun-Li's got multi kicker and has stuff to do with like instance. And it's just weird to have this one person trying to like solo your opponent or whatever, you know, it's just not not really what that thing is about. So like, doesn't even necessarily resonate with me. It's kind of like the same thing with the walking dead stuff. It's like, I, yeah. I don't, I don't care about attacking with Rick or whatever. I think that's another big consequence of this era of magic is resonance taking a huge backseat. And it's, it's impossible for these things to resonate because they're what, what are you trying to point to? Like, what is the core identity you're trying to show via these cards at this point? And there is none. It's, it's just whatever. Yeah. The the thing is, though, is 
I would not be making these products for enfranchised magic players. I would be doing it to try and get like you're paying for the license of this thing for like Street yep. Fighter or Final Fantasy or Warhammer or whatever. Yep. And ideally and it's working for the most part. It seems to be working. So Yeah. So ideally you would want a Warhammer player to be like, okay, this is my army, and they just made this, you know, magic card of of this army or whatever. It's like I will get that or I'll get the commander deck, like haha as a joke or as a thing to like put on a bookshelf or something. And then at some point someone is going to teach you how to play. And then maybe that's how you get into it. Right. And I, I, I'm not coming at it from that side. Right. Because I don't know, like I'm already invested. So you're, you're telling me it's a, a success or seems like it is or whatever. I, I don't know because I don't, I don't hear about those stories happening. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I honestly don't know. And then trying to analyze, pick it apart, judge it, based on whether or not it's doing anything for us is kind of disingenuous because that's not really what the product is for anyway. I think that's right. I think that's entirely fair, but I, I can only experience it as, as me, right? Yeah. And like that is, that's, that's what you're here for ostensibly is to hear my opinion on it. And for me, these do not work, but I, I've, I have heard those success stories of people who are just like Warhammer players and, and buy the magic deck and then find their way into magic. I, I do think those things are happening. Uh, are they happening to a degree that it is worth diluting, diluting a 30-year brand? I don't know the answer to that either. My my instinct is no, but. I don't know, man. That's the thing, too, is how how badly is this diluting things? And clearly this is just the start, right? In a year or five years or 10 years, how many universes beyond releases are there going to be? Are any of them going to feel special to us? Or is it going to feel like another alchemy set where it's just like, these are fake cards, who cares kind of thing. And at that point, like the dilution is, is going to feel real and it's, it's going to feel worse and worse probably. Well, I, so I think I would be more inclined to isolate the sentiment towards players like us, long enfranchised competitive players if I didn't also see it in the more casual spaces. And to me, there is no more casual space on the planet than a YouTube comment section. That is just the most casual base instinct of humanity you can possibly put on display. And if there's, there's a feeling of dilution and like this is too much in those spaces as well. And uh, obviously it shows up on Twitter, which I see as a slightly more enfranchised place than like, you know, a YouTube comment section. But to me, at this point, YouTube comment section is the voice of the masses, which is a horrifying concept. But I I do really feel strongly that that is what we're looking at. I, I do. I, I don't think it's like the overwhelming voice or anything, you know, like the, the thing that you should go to when you want actual good opinions or whatever, because it's also generally people who are like outraged. There's, there's something to be said for outrage permeating existence, which is sort of depressing. But I I think a large percentage of the populace lives in a perpetual state of outrage. So yes, those are outraged people, but I also think that's the only way a lot of people know how to express themselves right now. They're sold a, a culture of outrage, a media of outrage, you know, social media experiences of outrage. That's all they know. And it's, it's almost like 
like a serotonin overload. It's the inverse of that, where the only way you can actually feel anything anymore is to be even more outraged. That's what people are being conditioned towards. So. I wonder. I wonder if there is the opposite of that group, like the YouTube comment section outrage. Not not like a addicted, but like you know that's that's the way of life. That's the only thing you know, kind of thing. Like if there are people who are just you know going to the store or shopping on Amazon or whatever, picking and choosing their favorite magic products, and they're just like you know A is not for me, but I really like B and C. I'm gonna get these. These are gonna be a lot of fun. They take them home. They play with their friends, their family, their partner, whatever, and they just have a good time. And they're just like not on the internet or whatever. And I, I, I just think that that's incredible if those people exist, right? They and do. Like, yeah, they do. Yeah, they, just, they may even be a majority, honestly. And yeah, it's very hard for us to see because the numbers that we get told, as far as how many active magic players there are versus the amount of comments in the youtube section it's like well the number of active players is much higher right and then i i I just wonder if there are are things like tiktok for example where maybe that platform is just as a whole more positive than something like youtube or twitter i i find that hard to believe just in the aggregate but you know it's like Maybe maybe we're just in the wrong spots, right? Like maybe people are actually just like out there enjoying our life, their lives and like not <laughs> being conditioned to what you're talking about. But yeah, I, I definitely see and feel that at least in the spaces that I'm in. And that is very depressing, right? Yeah, it's hard. So it, this is certainly way outside the scope of a magic podcast is what is reflective of society. If you are so disconnected as to not like experience that culture of outrage. You know, you are as much as I hate this term apolitical and not involved in all of the, you have to be completely tuned out, completely tuned out. Well, in that case, are you actually a member of society? You're a person, but like, are you participating in society? Well, presumably they are, going to work and paying taxes and like interacting with other humans. It's just on a much smaller scale. And I guess that you can make the argument that society today is more about interacting with wider swaths of people, which is, you know, stuff that we have not evolved to be able to do in a healthy way. I don't think, but yeah, yeah, that uh, you're right. It is way outside the scope of things, but like I, I know plenty of people who are, not very online. Let's yeah. Say, you know, right? where, where I see it a lot is like my friends who are parents now, it's like their world is so much smaller. Their world is their neighbors and their kids schools and, you know, taking care of their children, ridiculous hours out of the day and no time for themselves. Their world almost shrinks to such a degree that they, they don't have time to participate in all this nonsense. They are just existing. And yeah. like, you know, there's something very, sort of beautiful about that mode of life, I guess. it's It feels very genuine to me. But I, I do think that is more of the like tuned out percentage of the population than people who are just like actively avoiding it. It's just people who like don't have time for it. And there's a lot of people, not only who are doing like leisure things, like taking care of their children, but people who are just out there struggling to survive, you know, working two jobs, three jobs, don't have time for this type of stuff. There are, uh, there are also people who just 
go on hikes for fun or whatever, right? And are yeah. not terminally online. And they'll just do outdoorsy stuff instead of doom scrolling and whatnot, right? Yeah, so they're, it's, they're, it's weird because I, I know a lot of those people and I, I do feel like it has permeated into their lives as well. So like obviously exceptions to every rule and it's always a measure of degrees. You can, and like you can you have multiple interests. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I don't know. These type of like shape of society issues have always been very interesting to me. If you've listened to our podcast for a long time, you see I often get like very excited and wanting to explore these ideas more. But ultimately, the reason for that, I think, is because there are no answers. And it's all just like a lens of interpretation and you can kind of paint whatever narrative you want. But I still think it's a fun conversation to have. Yeah, I mean, we're we're trying to draw conclusions from not a lot of data whatsoever and certainly not scientifically gathered data Correct. in any sort of way. A so, lot of anecdotal experience. So yeah, that's, that's probably how we end up with uh, black and white magic sets. Yeah. Makes sense. Okay. We're still in February release of Kamigawa neon dynasty set in the current era on Kamigawa more than 1200 years after the conclusion of the original Kamigawa block. I remember saying some kind of like head ass shit when we were going through Kamigawa about, it being like 1200 years into the future or whatever. And it was like, okay, well now Kaito is planes walking to like other, th other places. So like, how does that work with time? And it was like, the real answer to that was like the OG Kamigawa set was just traveling back in time. It wasn't like, mm. Oh, that was current in relation to the current stuff. Uh, it was, it was that that was back in time. And this is in relation to the current stuff. It does complicate things when you realize that like magic is not a linear time progression. It's all just like snapshots of an era, right? And yeah, uh, but it, it it's also weird because some of that like how how old is Teferi actually? You know, and and Teferi is taking place in like older seeming sets and whatever. So I I don't know. I, they, I'm sure that there are they have worked it out, even if it's like some BS time travel. Yeah. Nonsense. I absolutely hate time travel stories because it's all just make them ups, you know? So I'm, I'm not even going to try and wrap my head around it, but I remember just being like, wait, this doesn't make any sense. And it, it didn't make any sense to me because I thought previous Kamigawa was the present, but it's not. Yeah. So that's it. That's all. Ultimately, none of this can make sense. You have to suspend disbelief to a large degree. So yeah, is, obviously. That I mean, is where we're at. Kamigawa is so technologically advanced now in the Dynasty, but they don't even have Twitter. Like, come on. Them. Yeah, that would be the first thing they would develop, obviously. Anyway, uh, you actually got to do a little moonlighting on this set, which... Wow, does that feel like a long time ago? Yeah. So you were doing that in 2021, presumably. Maybe 2020? I, I don't know. Oh, okay. I yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, definitely not 2022 is my point. Correct. Right? So yeah, it, it was a while ago for you. I'm actually uh, looking at my folders now to see. Looks like... We are in April 2021 is when I submitted okay. my final input. So. Nice. Yeah. So uh, overall, I think set was pretty good. Uh, you came into things when the set was basically mostly done, right? It was basically yep. just, you know, give us a, a final once through or whatever and let us know if we made any big mistakes or whatever. But set is pretty well beloved i think and a lot of it has to do with kamigawa a lot of it has to do with the presentation and everything but overall i think that this was really well done and it was one of the first sets in like a long line i think that had a lot of exciting cards for 
sets like standard, but also pioneer that were not also just completely busted. Yep. So set was, set yeah. was great. It was great when I found it and it, I, I had almost nothing to do with its greatness. Like almost literally almost nothing. I am happy that I got to work on a set that was so well put together and ended up being so well developed, you know, I, a couple tweaks here and there that I was able to contribute that maybe made standard a little safer and some cards a little safer. And then, uh, some of the some of the concerns certainly coming to fruition, but manageable concerns. I, I never really had any fear that like this set was going to break anything in half. It was going to create new power points and things like the the flip sagas were always going to be extremely good cards, probably the best cards in most environments because they just create so much cardboard. But that is a acceptable best card. It is it is not in the vein of fires of invention. Wilderness Reclamation, Nexus of Fate, Oko, Field of the Dead, Omnath. Wow, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them to go through. But it, you, you even forgot Uro. Yeah, yeah. So we were in a much safer space for these cards, a much better place to allocate your strength. And uh, I, I think it showed with reception of the set, with its influence on constructed metagames, just a, a real success for Wizards. Yeah. Uh, March 13th, Ely Cassis wins the Neon Dynasty Championship. Any words there? Uh, it's interesting. We're going to go through, you know, the winners of these championships, and I would classify most of them as old heads and adapting very, very well to the arena era. So I think that's an interesting note to take away of, of the performance of the, the top performers in these events. Yeah. Uh, you know, like I just do random stuff on road trips with, yeah. with magic people. One of them was you know again magic players right it was like oh who who were like the best players in in north america or whatever yes and i went through and i actually tried to like make a list and obviously it's just based on just whatever nonsense metrics i decided on but my my list was more of of like an overall type of thing where it's just like does this person have like a good head on their shoulders they have like a firm understanding of magic in a lot of different facets Yep. And I I get to grade that by whatever I want and however I want. And regardless, whatever, this was uh, 2016, I think. This is when I moved back to Roanoke. And Ely was was high up on the list. And I remember the people just being like, what, why? You know, and it, it was weird because Ely, Ely didn't play a ton and wasn't traveling right. a ton, you know, it was like always. Scooped in a bunch of finals of PTQs, I know for a fact, was more focused. Yeah. On like the business side of things. Yeah, very much in that vein of someone who never committed fully to the idea of like, I'm going to be a professional magic player, but showed the aptitude for years and years. Right. And it, it's it's one thing to like show aptitude versus like, no, I, I just think that he is probably one of the best people or like could be if he actually cared. Right. And uh, yeah, uh, he he has done very well for himself after devoting himself uh, a little bit more fully to magic. And I don't know what kind of ramifications that has for him for real life because uh, he, he was an adult basically, or like had an adult life. I don't actually know how old he is, but you know, he was, he was doing like real life stuff and wasn't traveling every weekend to tournaments. And sure enough, like the more that he, he played magic, the more he wanted everything. And it was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised, but everyone else is like, Oh wow. It's weird to see like this guy finally win or whatever. And it's like, yeah, you're not paying attention. Yeah, he. I mean, he was known in the Northeast as one of the 
best players for a very long time, especially when it came to like money drafting when that was a thing. Uh, I remember like money drafting with him all the way back in early 2010s and yeah. like him being a very fierce competitor and one that everyone knew was a very fierce. Co- There's so many people from that era there. You'd like sit down at the money draft table that people have no clue about, but the people who are in the scene are like, yeah, this person's really, really good. Look out for them. You know, I think of someone like smokes McCloaks, like just weird old heads who were like very, very good at the game and never really got their due. Yeah. And a lot of it has to do with, you know, luck and in fortune to some degree where it's like, well, you, you played pretty hard for a year, but like didn't quite get there or whatever. And now you're just going to move on and do something else. But like a lot of it back then too, was like, I, I had to skip a bunch of GPs and stuff because I couldn't afford it, you know, and yep. like, that translates to you not hitting gold for the year or, or something along those lines. And I, I think that there were just a lot of those stories, you know, it's like magic is expensive. Absolutely. Yeah. To think like we've ever gotten the full picture of like, who the best players in the world are is comical. Yeah. It's, it's just not real. Yeah. Uh, March 14th, uh, release for design for digital alchemy. Kamigawa set on arena. The arena beginner set is moved to alchemy. I don't know what that means, but that sounds really bad. I think there was just a bunch of cards that were like legal in arena standard that were not real cards. They were, they were bad. They didn't really matter all that much. I think this is them being moved to specifically the alchemy format. And I think this is about where we bailed on alchemy, right? Like we were in it before this point, or was this this was no, the first so instance, right? I I streamed this actually. I streamed. I don't know if I did the entire thing, but I remember doing this, and because this was Ely winning with like the dungeon thing, right? Right. And yeah, we were way right. off. We were way off it at this point. So 2022, I think, was the year of us poo pooing alchemy. Good choices. Maybe maybe the best thing or the thing that we got the most right. Uh, I think so. Uh, some people would probably disagree with us, but yeah. All right. March 30th, Wizards of the Coast organizes play, announces the reinstatement of tabletop pro tour. Players can work their way up through local qualif- qualifiers, regional championships, and pro tours to the world championship. Uh, I, I think I was pretty right about this, where it sounds good on paper, but it's really hard to recapture what you had and this is definitely an imitation of older systems but lacks a lot of the heart and obviously there are a lot of complications that come along with that you know still being in a pandemic and everything and the fact that for two to three four years something like that when it was like mpl into the beginning of the pandemic you gave a lot of people different off ramps from competitive magic and it's really hard to get people back once they've just opted out and have found like other hobbies or whatever so people were excited about this and i was like i don't i don't know if this is all that good and that has mostly been the case yeah i'm obviously of the same boat i will say i am still not willing to make final judgment because i haven't seen a paper pro tour yet so when the first paper pro tour happens then i can say okay i've now seen a pretty full realization of the system. I can give my honest assessment of it right now. I do not think the regional championship thing is doing anything to draw me personally back to the game. I think it has been a middling success. It like it works. It, it puts people 
in the funnel to the regional championships. And then a thousand people showed up at the US one. And, you know, ostensibly that pro tour is going to happen. So it, it is functional. I don't know if it's going to engender the type of response, loyalty, love of previous systems. Right. And and that's kind of the thing is people saying, oh, the pro tour is back. And th- this is this is not the same thing. So I think it's disingenuous to say the Pro Tour is back. You can say that organized play exists. I realize that that's not quite a as catchy of a tagline or anything. But yeah, it's it's it is not the same. the The Pro Tours, from what I can tell, are going to be taking place at Magic Celebration type of things. I don't know if that makes things better or worse for you. It always felt kind of weird when there was like a Pro Tour alongside uh, a GP and like. Certainly, uh, Commander is going to be like a, a big portion of well, these. Well, it, it depends, Jerry. It really depends how – it depends what the buzz is like around the Pro Tour event. Does the Pro Tour event matter? Is it a focal point of these conventions or is no. it something cast to the outside that you don't even see? Like there, I, I have – I know I, I'm not allowed to advertise for Flesh and Blood, but like we just did Flesh and Blood Worlds and the vibe in the room where there was also essentially a GP going out at the same time. That didn't matter. I mean, there's there's this one picture. I'll I'll share it either in our Discord or on Twitter or something if I think of it. But it's Tan and I calling the finals of the World Championships. And in the booth, there's just this huge, ridiculous cluster of people leaning over the rails and like climbing on each other's shoulders to just try and see the monitors. To say nothing of like down where the actual match was being played, people were st- stacked like four or five rows deep. Yes. And but that was something that felt like this was an important part of this event. There's a big difference between worlds featuring all these other events versus, you know, Magic 30 Philadelphia Command Fest featuring a pro tour, right? And yeah. I've, I've yep. been I've been to events where there was whatever in, I, I think this was Richmond where it was like the pro tour and the GP and like all this other stuff going on yep. and over the course of the weekend more and more people filtered out of the pro tour area yes. to go do other stuff. And none of the people who were there, like who were not qualified for the pro tour, very few of those people wandered over to the pro tour area to see what was going on. Because Correct. the, so your example of flesh and blood worlds is like, people are mainly there for worlds, or at least I want to play in the GP, but I also care about worlds. It's kind of like why I'm playing in the GP versus getting a lot of people in the room who don't care about the pro tour also hosting the pro tour there as kind of a side event. Well, but, but your Richmond example is essentially the same as the flesh and blood example, right? Uh, I, I don't think so because it, I don't know. It's you're yes. There are people who are like playing in the GP, but I think more and more as GPs happened, it was like, come do these side events, come play commander, et cetera, et cetera. And, People will show up and play in their big events. They'll play in like SCG opens or whatever with no aspirations of going to the player championship or whatever. You know, it's like, oh, this big thing is here. I guess I'll play. But I think even less and less people started playing in those events, the more different side events that people start offering. So uh, I, I, I think maybe this is just an issue of you, like not knowing the offerings of the flesh and blood world championship because it, it's the same thing like it's it's side events and ultimate pit fight events and it, it really feels like the exact same thing just people well, cared more about the world champion the well right because flesh and blood doesn't have a casual market really you like you have 
people who can participate in the game casually, but you don't have a thing like Commander or whatever. So ostensibly, like all the people who are interested in Flesh and Blood are playing, you know, like competitive constructed formats or whatever. Huh. Right? Whereas I- people who are playing in a Grand Prix you know, there's, there's not a lot of overlap between like, Oh, is this person going to try and qualify for a PT at some point versus like the flesh and blood GPs where that number is going to be much higher. You're going to have a a much higher concentration of like competitive identifying people. I think at least now that that could change in the future. Right. But I, I don't think that's accurate, but I don't have any hard numbers to refute that. So we're just going to have to agree to see it differently for the time being. And like, I'm just thinking of the fact that there's like this, the ultimate pit fight event where it's like a, a grand melee type thing with a hundred people in it playing their, you know, multiplayer decks, like all of that stuff was present there. There's, there were collectors there, cosplayers, like it, it felt very much to have that separate thing. And then you can't get whatever number we had for the, the calling, which was, I think like 700 people, you, you can't only have those be people who are interested in qualifying for pro tours because they're just not going to make it. And it's like a similar number to the number of people who played the GP in Richmond that was tied to the pro tour. Like, I I don't think there's a huge difference in terms of participation. And like, did the people who play that, that GP in Richmond, they only cared about playing on the pro tour. I, I don't think that's the case. No, I'm saying that that's not the case. I'm saying that they will show up and play because they are locals and it's like, oh, there's this big modern tournament or whatever. I think that was the same thing at at Flesh and Blood Worlds. I, I dude, there's there is a a bigger buy-in to be interested in Flesh and Blood events, though. That's that's why there is a, a smaller player base than Magic, right? Like, but there's there's two thousand people coming through the door of that event. Like that is a a similar number to the people who come came through probably for that Richmond PT event, right? No, they'll have like ten thousand uniques or something. For that PT event. I, I mean, I don't know about that one specifically, but... Like, I, I was there. It, it never felt all that packed. Like, it felt like it was very much on the downtrend. And I don't remember what GP attendance was for that event. I'm I'm sure I could find it if I knew where to look for such things. But it, it felt like that was at the point where things were getting much, much smaller very quickly. Okay. So, regardless, I was using that as an example. That's the last one I can remember. This one is attached to a thing that is... Yes, this mostly, is different. Mostly a command fest, right? Correct. Correct. So, this is different. I agree with you. Yes, there. way, way different and more, more of a side event, right? So that is, that's basically the point that I'm getting at where yes. for however few people trickled over to the PT area in Richmond, it's going to be comical compared to less. This I, I agree with you 100%. That's all that, that was my point. That was what I was getting at. I'm with you. We're on the same page. So yeah, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna feel like a side event. Uh, I honestly, I mean, there's not a good way to fix that, right? Like you could try and make the pro tours only competitive people. And then maybe you have more people interested in watching the pro tour or whatever, but like, you don't really care about that. You care about the people trying to qualify for the pro tour. And then whoever shows up, shows up, right? Like you don't need the people in the command fest to be interested in going and watching the pro tour. And I I guess like, you don't even necessarily need like a GP attached to it. So it's like, I, I get why they're doing it this way, you know? Uh, yep. It's just going to lessen the importance of the Pro Tour when it starts getting viewed as a side event to the Correct. real banger of the main event, which is just sitting down and like jamming commander against people you just met. 
This is the core of the point I was getting to is like it ultimately is about like de-emphasizing the Pro Tour and not making it feel like the special thing that everyone should want to see, everyone should want to watch. That's how you get that kind of buy-in and you have to extend that outside of just like the people who are trying to qualify. You have to make it the thing for your game. Like this is the, the celebration, the focal point, the culmination and that's how you get that kind of buy-in. And it, it's not, though. It's not. They're not trying to do that. They're not failing at it. They don't want to do that. It's a very different approach. Right. And, and, and there's a lot that goes into it, too, where you think about the lack of advertising, even in the MPL era, where they were absolutely. trying to make it the focal point. And you, you, people just don't know that the events are happening, and that makes them feel like they're not important, right? Yep. It's like, oh, I just didn't even know that a, a PT or Mythic Championship or Set Championship or whatever is happening. Therefore, why should you care? Whereas if you make it so it's literally the only thing that people see on Magic Twitter for like weeks leading up to it, people will tune in. I mean, I, I learned this lesson very hard when I was streaming where there was this uh, a thing on, on Magic Online where it was like weeks of qualifiers and then first place got a set of every card that was in Modern, which was like $8,000 or something. Yep. And for weeks I was streaming, playing in these qualifiers and my, my numbers were normal. It was like 800 to 1200 people uh, on average. And then every time I was just like, yep, I'm playing in these qualifiers. This is the date of the finals thing. This is what is at stake. Like it's, it's real money, blah, blah, blah. And then I streamed the championship on a delay, which sucks, right? As a viewer, it is just a really bad experience, like 10 minute delay. And I had like 2,500 people watching me. Mm-hmm. which was just absurd because it's not like my numbers during the week were any better. It was just, I had hyped this thing up for weeks. Everyone who came through knew about it. Of course. And then everyone tuned in. It was like, holy shit, like that is the power of advertising, right? The failure of the MPL could be best summed up by we've we've tried nothing and we're all out of ideas. Like it, they just used it. Like its failure was used to justify a de-emphasizing of a lot of things. Very and, few things bug me more than than that strat. Yeah. I I cannot emphasize that enough. It is so frustrating to see and it happens so often and this is maybe the thing I cared about the most in my life, you know? So it's like even more frustrating. It's just like god damn it, why why did things happen this way? Yeah. Yeah, bungled to a laughable degree. And then that bungling used to justify a, a strong de-emphasis of, you know, competitive play in general. Yeah. And this is this is the consequence of that, is people don't want to look at the Pro Tour. They'll walk right by it, even, even if it is made the center point of these command fests. I just don't think people will care anymore. Yeah, I mean, Worlds was in Vegas, right? In, in theory, people could have watched it. I don't know exactly what happened. I certainly was not there. I didn't see many photos of it or anything. Yeah, Feedback I got was it felt very isolated and very separate and not at all an interest point. Yep. So your whole thing was like, oh, I have to see like a real life pro tour happen. I was mainly getting at the point of it's going to be a side event and you're, you're not going to be satisfied with the result. That was all. I, yep. uh, That's my expectation, but I'm, I'm being patient and giving them the chance. I'll give them the chance to surprise me. All right. April 1st. Challenger decks 2022. I liked that these existed at least when people were incentivized to play magic. I have basically lost count of when these things come out because I don't think that they're widely advertised or anything. And I certainly don't remember these showing up on my radar or anything. Sometimes it's like, Oh, this one's a really good value because it has a bunch of like hazards or Chandra's in it or whatever. And now I just have 
no idea the things that have been reprinted in these things, but in theory, they're a good idea. I do think that maybe like April 1st for a release of something is fine, but April 1st for an announcement of things is probably not a good idea. Just I have April. no recollection of these challenger decks. These were standard legal challenger decks. I just don't remember them. And, you know, what standard was being played in paper where these needed to exist? I product without a home in my estimation. This this was a release too, not an announcement. Um, no, I know, but I'm I, I looked at April first and I was just like, oh, that's funny because yeah. like yeah, paper standard decks is like it is a joke. It does feel like an April Fool's joke. That's true. Uh, so again, release probably not that big of a deal, but just in general, yeah, maybe don't announce things on April first. Also, I I just dislike that too, but I don't like fun, so that's fine. Right. Uh, April eleventh, secret layer drop series. April super drop twenty twenty two. I assume this is going to have another like eight ball of products. Yep. Like seven in this case we're looking at. I'm counting correctly. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yep. Just some totally normal guys. Finally, left-handed magic cards, three artist series, special guest, Matt Jukes, and then the showcase secret layer streets of new Capenna gilded foil edition. I mean, I'm, I'm mostly left-handed, but it, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me. I guess I've never seen these before and I am failing to picture what exactly they look like. Uh, I kind of do want to see them, but there's no hyperlink here. So I'll, I'll live without them for the time. So, being. okay. Uh, I am, I'm like hovering over them. I clicked on. Oh, the, the little footnote. Did yeah. that get either? I clicked on the super drop thing. And I scrolled all the way down and it like lists the cards and you can go down and. Oh, okay. Yep. I'm looking at it now. I don't know. <laughs> like maybe this really matters to a left-handed person. They're really excited. Well, the thing is, is it, it doesn't work with the rest of your stuff, right? Like if, if you put these in a deck and you try and hold the stuff left-handed or whatever, you know, with the cards going the opposite direction, it, it doesn't work. So the joke is funny, but yeah, obviously it's not actually helping like left-handed people. Uh, a lot of wizards jokes don't land with me yeah but humor subjective so but i can explain the joke to you and then it becomes funny right all right april, that, that is how jokes usually work yes. april 21st introduction of the true to tabletop explorer format on magic the gathering arena true to tabletop huh uh maybe someday i think this is taking way too long this needed to happen way faster i don't know why it's taking so long because th uh, they didn't they didn't think pioneer was going to be a thing right like they they wanted to uh back burner it and then they wanted to move forward on it and i i think the timing kind of makes sense i agree that turning explorer into pioneer has taken a long time uh and, and it's still not there so i think they got distracted with a lot of other goals alchemy historic they potentially saw them as a way to make more money than these uh, Explorer formats, which just let you use old cards and don't do like the double printing thing. Although they will, as long as you use them like in this catch up mechanism, but it's just taking too long and people are going to lose interest. So yeah. April 29th release of streets of new Capenna flavor. Not great for me. Nope. Didn't love it. Seemed like people were either medium about it or liked it. Uh, it, it wasn't a whole lot of poo pooing it, I guess. So I think that that's a fine place to be. Like they can't all be bangers, but as long as it's not widely disliked or something, then I think that that is fine. But overall, like the set was very good. 
this falls lower for me than the some of the other releases this year. It just, you know, it, I, I can't really point to like an iconic card from Streets that really sells me on the whole concept of the the plane, or even just from like a, a gameplay perspective. It, that's not to say this set was bad. I think it was fine. You know, we played some Team Sealed that I enjoyed. It certainly delivered, at least short term. It, it did its job. It was a totally functional Magic set. I think it is probably going to be like pretty forgotten as time goes on. Not really going to be a standout, but like you said, they can't all be bangers. Yeah. Uh, I just think that at the time I had a lot of fun playing it and I don't know, maybe, maybe it is just like the gold stuff to me really, really feels nice and interesting. It helps definitely for limited formats. It helps a lot. Yeah. But yeah, mostly, mostly forgettable and it is bookended by, some things that are actual bangers. So does not yep. help its case. Uh, May, yep. May 4th, release of Secret Lair Drop Series Pride across the multiverse. I am always happy that these things exist. And this was one of the few days where Magic Twitter was just like overwhelmingly positive, which is incredible. It's just so awesome to see. But at the same time, uh, you know, it's just like a, a corporate thing. Like... You know, once once a year, they like change their icon to be rainbow colored or whatever. And they're like, look how inclusive we are. And then, you know, Wizards does stuff like release D&D material that is like flagrantly racist or whatever. And it's just like, okay, like I know that there are a lot of people inside Wizards who do care about this sort of stuff. But as like a company, the company, the entity does not care. Right. Yeah. Putting money in the Trevor Project's coffers, always going to get a big thumbs up from me. Happy to see, uh, you know, 50% of this purchase is donated. I think like it's only 50%. And if I did something like this, I'd, I'd go 100%. And, you yeah. know, I, I have friends who have, you know, made products in similar spaces who went 100% donations and they aren't making billion dollar companies. So, I appreciate it. I always am questioning why you need to make money on this. Like, can't you just have the thing where, you know, you do it for a good cause and and support a very worthy charitable organization? And one of those things where I don't know if I'm supposed to applaud the bare minimum or ask for more. Yeah. That- Either way, I'm, I'm glad it exists. But I, I do think there's something to be said for something like this. As soon as you're making something targeted to uh, you know, a market that has traditionally faced all these barriers and you're you're sort of monetizing their struggle, I think you owe them 100% of the returns on this. And granted, it's 50% of each purchase donated directly. So maybe after production costs, they actually didn't make any money on this. I'll say that's a possibility. Yeah, it, it I, is. I would just like them to say that though. Like all profit is going to this. Right. But since they don't say that because- mm even like that would just be like such clear language right yeah, you assume they're taking some dollars for themselves yeah so the the fact that how much they're actually making is obfuscated leads me to believe that it is not that or it's agreed or they're certainly not losing money on it you know that's my guess as well and i'm curious how that conversation started right where it's like oh we're going to donate some of the proceeds to a charity let's let's do trevor project right and did did it start at 10% and get moved up to 50 or did it start at 100 and get moved down to 50 good question 
Good question. I, I'm curious about that, but it is better that this exists than not, but there are so many better ways to do it, and you could certainly do it more than once a year. Truth. So I don't know. I'm not, I don't know if I'm supposed to be like happy or sad about this stuff. You know what I mean? No. Nah. It's not a binary. You you get to you get to have a split opinion on it. That's fine. Sure. Eh, it's world's complicated. Uh May 21st, yep. start of the Pro Tour season with the first qualifier play-in event on MTG Arena. Okay. I think I think I won that one and became a member of the MPL if I recall correctly. Uh I believe you won an LCQ. Oh, shit. All right. Well, I'm still waiting for my check either way. Yep. Uh, May 22nd, Jan Moritz Merkel wins the new Capenna Championship. This is another one of those old heads that you're talking yep. about. Yeah, going uh, back in time. Jan won PT Kobe in 2006 or 2007. Long time ago. And that was his first pro tour. And back in the day, they had pro player cards that you could get in booster packs, which as uh, you know, a person who was like among those people, uh, I, I really wanted a card at some point and then they, they nixed it before I ever got one, which, uh, granted it probably would have taken a long time before I would ever gotten one. So that that's completely reasonable, but people always said that Jan's card looks like me, which I think is just, I don't know, we're two white dudes. Uh, but you know, whatever, I guess he had a beanie on, maybe that was it. Yeah. That's worth a lot of points. So yeah, that that's my connection to Jan. It's like whenever I see him pop up, it's like, oh yeah, that's the the person who A won his first pro tour, which is badass. And B, people said looked like me where I I just don't see it. So that's it. Yeah, Jan was my second favorite pro player card after Murray the Mauler Evans, of course. Mm. What why the love for Murray? I don't know. Okay. Just, the just because thing. nobody can tell you anything about Murray the Mauler. Like, I've never really heard a good summation of uh, his magic career or people who are like, oh, yeah, I'm friends with Murray. We still see him from time to time. I, I just don't know anything about him. He's a mystery. Yeah, that's fair. I, I was friends with like a decent amount of Canadians and it was just like, yeah. Me too. Like, that's a dude I know. Yeah, you were on basically a Canadian podcast. Yeah. Didn't hear a lot from Murray, though. Yeah, weird. Never, never a guest, huh? No. Uh, June 2nd, release of Alchemy New Capenna. I tried I tried drafting this a couple times, which is a pretty big waste because I basically already had all the cards from drafting a bunch and the alchemy cards are pretty useless. And I it just seemed like an interesting implementation, right? Where all right, you've played the draft format, now let's spice it up a bit and like put some new stuff in there. Yeah. And that, that's cool. And as like a designer, I, I would appreciate the opportunity to be like, huh, I wonder if I could do this to my draft format. Yeah, the problem was Wins were basically determined by how many alchemy cards you had in your deck versus theirs. Cause that's bad. Cause they were like vintage cube cards in a standard set release. Like they're all messed up. It's weird. I don't know. I, it's, it's very hard for me to unpack like the motivations behind alchemy set design. So uh, I assume like the answer is why do you do that to sell cards is the answer, but I have no idea. I think it was just, people wanted to draft with the cards. They're like, okay, you know, monkey's paw curls or whatever. Like, here you go. Yep. And then people are just like, oh, this kind of sucks. Uh, I, I think it's fun for a little bit until you do figure out like, oh, it, it was literally like I, I played two of them. They only played one, you know? Got and it. then that just meant that even though it seemed like it might be fun, that it's not a compelling competitor competitive experience or anything. So I just haven't done any since then. 
Good call. June 3rd, release of the 2022 starter kit. I have no idea what the hell this is. Nope, I clicked on it. It looks like just a two-player kit uh, designed for new players and has some arena redemption cards, which is something I really like. I think that's cool, but I have no recollection of this product, so I really can't say anything about it. I don't know if it's successful. I assume this just like sits on shelves in Walmarts and uh, maybe gets sold, but there's few men i do this from time to time i really actually enjoy it i go to the, the walmart near my house and i just walk through the magic section and i'm like i don't know what any of this is it's just this absurd collection of project uh products and it's like if i were trying to experience magic for the first time and like become a magic player how do i know what to get and granted this is started kit on it so yeah like, that, that's good but there's so much stuff that it's very hard to isolate the starter kit. Uh, there's just too much product. That's what it all comes back around to. I think you just always need a friend because you're going to need a friend to play with anyway. So that is true. you try and learn with them or uh, someone who is already invested teaches you or whatever. That's just going to be the case with like any two player game that isn't uh, like, like PVP, right? I mean, if I wanted to play uh, Legends of Runeterra or something, presumably like I could just go and there'd be a tutorial and stuff. And like the same is true of Arena. But if I wanted to play Flesh and Blood, for example, I literally can't, right? Like there's no online client. I don't know anyone here. There's like, I could go and sit with you on Discord or something, but it's, it's a bunch of nonsense. So I'm not going to do that. And I don't know, that's probably why I haven't played that game. So I I get it. Like who who is this for? How is how is like a person gonna get into it? It's like I think you're just priced into needing a friend no matter what. Uh that seems like a very reasonable accept, uh assessment. So what I'm hearing is bring back the guru program. And that's the only way to actually make this work. All right, June 10th. Commander Legends, Battle for Baldur's Gate. Oh man. So hey. <laughs> Commander focus set designed to be draftable. I do not know a person who drafted this. I do. Okay. What did they think? It, it was released at a command fest that you were at, right? Was this only in June when that happens? That might be true. Like the command fest Richmond. That was like two blocks from my apartment. Yeah. I th- yeah, I think that was happening then. Maybe it was like the week after or something, but it was, yeah, it was around this time, I guess. June just feels like, I don't know if it feels like a long time ago or not that long ago. I have no idea. Whatever. But yeah, I mean, people, people were dabbling, you know, they would go like play a couple drafts, uh, heard about some experiences, but that was it. It was just like, I'm at the event and they're doing this thing and maybe I want surprise wall tickets or whatever. Like they gave you a free event entry or something, or they wanted a card for their deck, you know, like there are a lot of reasons to like dabble and do a couple of them. But then after that, where the hell are you supposed to play this? I don't know. It's a good question. And, uh, what I think is maybe if I have my timing, correct, what is most interesting about this set, is this the set where initiative comes from? Uh, maybe. I think it is. I'm 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 fairly confident in that. Yes, it is. It 100% is the set that introduces initiative, which goes are, on. Are these, are these the busted initiative cards or did those come later? I, like, I don't, mechanic, but I don't know, Gerald, you know, I don't know, but I, this is the introduction of the mechanic for sure. And a mechanic that would go on to destabilize first popper 
now legacy and seemingly not going to be going away in legacy anytime soon. So this otherwise completely forgettable set that I don't know anyone who they drafted it is now shaping the format designed to be the showcase of Magic's history, the legacy format. Don't love it, Gerald. I I don't love this being the thing that is influencing legacy more than anything else. Yeah, of course. And uh, I mean, I I told you, I looked through uh, the legacy decks uh, a couple weeks ago when when I was trying to figure out like what we were going to do. And I was like, oh, maybe we could talk about this. And it was just a, a dumpster fire. Maybe maybe the worst the format has ever looked, at least in my opinion. Do you want to know all the steps of the the Undercity? No, I I clicked around on the wiki and I I, I saw it and then I scrolled right past it. Okay, because I don't want to know. Okay, we can keep it that way. Cool. I, I think I think my main goal is to never actually internalize. Like I, I do know some of the steps. I've just like gotten them secondhand at this point. I don't know all of them. Uh, my main goal is to just never acknowledge this and just hope it goes away before I ever have to learn. Yeah, which is weird because they would have to get rid of a lot of cards, but here's open. Uh, June 13th, another secret layer drop. Here be dragons and June super drop 2022. Do we really need a super drop alongside another one? Yeah, get them both. This is where we found Rule the Room, special guest Kellogg Sloops, Artist Series Vulcan Baga, Artist Series Livia Prima, Artist Series Chris Ron, and the Tokyo Lands, depicting several locations in Tokyo. Very cool if you're wow. like from Tokyo. Like that's yeah, I mean that's that's cool. that's cool. Yeah. I wonder I'm I'm looking at the Tokyo Lands now. Did you know these existed until I just told you that? No, I had no okay. clue. Yeah. How could you? These these are awesome. These are very you just, cool. You just found your new favorite lands. Get them into your, well, uh, you know. Again, man, it's it's kind of like the universes beyond stuff, where it's like you're putting real life into magic, and I don't necessarily like that. I think that these are cool. These would be like things that I would hang on my wall more mm-hmm. so than things that I would put into my Magic: The Gathering deck. Is that what they're supposed to be? Maybe. I mean, I. Yeah, it's possible, right? I, I, I wouldn't want the card on the wall. I would want like a wall scroll type of thing, you know, like a, fr- a frame picture like that. That's cool. But whatever, you know, pe- people, people want these. They will maybe make a Kaito deck or something and like put these in there and, you know, flavor win, whatever. Cool. I'm, I'm just kind of like looking at. We lost them, the, folks. We I'm, lost them to the the Tokyo lands. No, I'm I'm looking at the other stuff now. Like I I, I do like art. I appreciate art. So like you do these sure. you do these things, and you have these artists I know drawing cards that they're not necessarily drawing like painting usually, but these these cards that uh, they have not done before. I like to see their take on it, and then I just hope I never see them show up in a game. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I I think like. <laughs> I, I still really want somebody to just like blow up the coverage of the first pro tour with just the most heinous and mismatched versions possible of any card they can find. Yeah. It would, it would be funny. Also, they don't really have to try that hard. No. July 1st prices are raised by 11 across 11% across the board for booster products, e.g. draft boosters, set boosters, collector boosters, things like this happen. And I don't know. I'm like not that surprised or upset about it, especially when 
over the course of 20 years, packs have gone up by like a dollar or whatever. Yeah, this actually feels like one of the least greedy things in this entire list, quite frankly, which is strange. You usually expect price increases to be like something that would draw ire. But given the state of inflation and how long the prices were static, this really didn't strike me as anything all that problematic or no. The thing is, though, is is this a price increase that is in line with inflation or at least like done because of inflation? No, it never is. Or is is this a thing that they justify by, you know, oh, just quote unquote inflation, hand waving, whatever. And yeah, and and they just say it's because of that when in reality, it's just because like, I don't know, prices for other stuff are going up. So like might as well raise ours and we'll figure out a justification later. And yeah, I, I vaguely remember that that was kind of the case for this. I also remember working in house and being told that the actual like full cost of production and like everything involved of making a booster pack at that point was like 39 cents or something. Oof. So yeah. Markup when you push it to $30 a pack, huh? Yeah. So then it's just like, well, even if inflation does factor into things, which obviously it does. And then there's stuff like supply chain issues and all the other complications that come from that. And I'm sure it costs more money to have to kind of like test drive new printers and everything and work out the kinks in that stuff. And you have to put like more people on that stuff, which is, you know, more company bandwidth and everything like that costs money versus like if you just had like one solid printer that made like good product and like always stayed in business or whatever, which you, you know that they've had issues over yep. the last, I don't know, almost a decade, basically. So I don't know. Maybe there are justifications for this. I don't think the price of a booster pack is even over a dollar at this point. I find it hard to believe that it is. So, you know, they're they're still making a bunch of money. Does that justify the price increase? I don't know. I mean, maybe it is reasonable if literally everything else is going up in price that they're just like yo let's just raise ours and people won't bat an eye at it i don't know yeah it's it's all kind of unjustifiable when you get down to like the the brass tacks of it all but you know does the ceo need another boat is always the question you can ask when you're dealing with things like this and could be a cheaper product it's not this is the world we live in i'm not angry at this angry at capitalism as is often the case yeah and uh, not even angry at the CEO like that. That dude should not have another boat. And instead, you know, they should pay probably like their lowest paid employees more money. That'd be nice. Right. But, you know, that's not going to happen. And it's not like it's necessarily that dude's fault or whatever. But yeah. Uh, July 7th, Alchemy Horizons, Baldur's Gate on MTG Arena. I believe this was the greatest name for an event of all time. It was like, I mean, yeah. Alchemy Horizons Baldur's Gate is already good, but then it was like Phantom, Sealed, Arena, whatever, Qualifier. <laughs> it was just 10 words for an event, and it was just like all this shit sounds made up. And then there were cards with scroll bars, and it was just a whole thing. Uh, this is this is probably where not only like a shark, but just a complete ocean full of sharks was completely jumped with the alchemy format and uh yeah it was clear we were not coming back from this point 
briefly looking for the event name, but whatever. Just, I don't know, flip to a random, flip to seven random pages in the dictionary and, you know, pick out random words. And that's the name. Of the Nailed event. it. Uh, July 8th, release of Double Masters 2022. Uh, don't even really remember what was in the set. I guess like Ren and Six was in the set, but who knows? Don't hold non-reserve list cards. Yes. Don't don't do it. They're going to be printed into into dust. And in fact, they already are. That's that's the biggest problem is that the scarcity is false. There was a really cool post. Man, I wish I remember where I saw it. Basically, it was showing print runs of Alpha, Beta, Unlimited, Legends, all those early sets, and like just taking a stack of cards and saying, this is how many of any given rare in these sets exists, and putting them in a stack. And then the closing is... We don't know this, but based on estimations, this is how many of every, any given mythic rare exists now. And it's just, a, again, a scroll bar, just boxes and boxes and boxes and boxes that you scroll through forever. Uh, the scarcity of these cards is false, exploitable, and uh, I would not want to hold a lot of them. Fair enough. July 21st, release of Secret Lair Drop Series Fortnite. I remember when these things were announced, they were talked about a lot. And these things eventually came out and I just heard like nothing about them when they were, nope. when they were released. So like the, the I've, I've never seen one, the Warhammer thing happened. The Fortnite thing happened. Yeah. I don't know, man. Yeah. This seemed like, uh, again, a moment where like, Oh, do we really need this? I, I guess the best thing I can say about it is it came and went and didn't matter that much. Look, uh, I, Fortnite is massive, right? Yeah. And mostly caters to a younger audience, which I think that magic is probably struggling to do because there are so many just faster, prettier, snappier games on the market. And I think that that is more appealing to a younger crowd than slow pace, like tabletop gaming type of crap. Right. And again, mm -hmm. you get some like really big, uh, Fortnite kid, to just want all the Fortnite associated garbage that he can get his hands on. Right. And you, you lure him in with this thing, maybe ends up actually liking magic because it is a fucking awesome game. Right. And maybe, maybe that's just the end of it. Maybe that's what you need to do. So this stuff, like I think Lord of the Rings makes sense, kind of both fantasy settings, whatever. Whereas Fortnite is just like, what the hell? But I am actually more in favor of them doing kind of nonsensey things like this because I do think that acquisition of, of new people is important. I understand that. And I think that this here's, is a pretty reasonable way to do it. I, I agree with you, Jerry, but here's the bigger problem. Why is this a secret layer then? Like how how yeah. does yeah. how does Fortnite person know when the secret layer drops or like maybe it gets enough coverage and you know, mainstream media. You see it on Kotaku or, or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, maybe that matters. I I don't know. It's just like at some point, you have to ask yourself, are we better served trying to sell this product to literal every person on the planet, or do we actually want to identify our core audience? And their goal is to sell it to every person on the planet. That's a hell of a goal. And if you achieve it, you make a lot more money. And, you know, they're they're doing it. I, th I think you're right, for sure. Secret Lair Drop doesn't make a lot of sense. I don't know how accessible these things are after the fact. You know what I what I mean? Where yeah. secret layers are generally like, all right, on on this one day you have a window to to buy them or whatever, and then after that maybe it's hard to find them, or at least that was the case initially. Like 
you can probably find them at a markup or whatever. And yeah, this is definitely a thing that should be a thing that sits on the shelves of LGSs or GameStop or whatever. And yep. the people can just, you know, be wandering through Target or something and see and pick up. Not be a thing. That yeah, I, I think that's, I mean, I don't know. I I guess I don't know enough about like who this theoretical Fortnite purchaser is that has to have everything related to Fortnite. Maybe I'm under underestimating i'm not underestimating the size of the game i know like it is it is the game it's just uh hard for me to envision the like collecting culture also being associated with it but there are skins and yeah i mean maybe i'm just off that's the thing that i'm saying is like i think that that is a big part of fortnite right like game is free but there's like freemium type stuff yeah. Uh, so just quick Google Fortnite sees between 2.9 and 4 million concurrent players at any one time. Massive, massive game. Yeah, it, dude, it's absolutely huge. So making a, a stab, even if it's, if it's kind of like a half ass stab to capitalize on some of that, dude, that's worth it. I agree that this is not the best place for it, but like, can you make an entire Magic the Gathering set or something? Like maybe there should be like a box set maybe that would be a better than just like a secret layer with a card. Yeah. I would, I would make dual decks. That would be how I would target it. Yeah. But yeah. And I, I think that that's awesome. And like for, for Lord of the Rings, having that just be a booster set that sits on the shelves of game stores. I think that that is great. And Lord of the Rings is maybe big enough to justify the cost. And I'm sure that like the licensing fees and everything are not cheap. Right. So I don't know. I would be shocked if that set is not the best-selling set of all time. Huh. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I could see it, and I, I think that that's one of those things where it's probably not going to be gangbusters like off, off the bat or anything, but over time, I think it will sell really well, which necessitates that it does sit on shelves. and it's, Just sit it, sit it on those Walmart shelves, and I think it, it will sell. Yeah. So uh, I, I, think, I think taking a stab is good. Uh, this is definitely not the best way to do it, but if this is kind of like the only option that you had, definitely do it. I just don't think that that's the case, but whatever. Uh, July 28th, release of Historic Anthology 6 and Explorer Anthology 1 on MTG Arena. These things are are good. They are awesome. Uh, there's definitely a lot of stuff where I'm like, why the hell is this there or whatever? And maybe they're a little expensive for what they are, but regardless, I think that... Simply waiting for old sets to be remastered or whatever and reintroduced on Arena that way is not a great plan because it, it takes too long. And this is a good way to do things if you just want to heavy-handedly turn Explorer into Pioneer, but they, they could very easily just do it in like two goes, right? If yep. they wanted to. Or, or do this weekly. Yeah, and instead they're just doing it like very slowly over time and i think that that's not really good enough but agreed same assessment august 10th <laughs> without fanfare man they're, they're just this is this is the first bit of editorializing i've seen in any of this yeah so that's, that's very interesting they're they're doing our job for us the mobile game magic spellslingers is finally implemented on ios and android um 2022 let's see in 2017 maybe even 2016 I got in on like the first beta for this. Been a while. That's a long time, dude. And I I kind of helped facilitate a couple people getting hired onto this. And some of those folks 
a lot of them actually, now that I think about it, have left Wizards and some of them have transitioned into other parts of Wizards, uh, like onto Magic, for example, which is cool. Like, I think that that is, that's definitely an upgrade working on like random uh, mobile side project versus like working on main game. But uh, I, I think, yeah, overall worked out well for some people, but uh, maybe, maybe had something to do with the fact that this took five years to release, six years to release. I don't know. And I think the goals for this game also got very much supplanted by Arena. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that is probably true too, because there, yeah, there was, there was definitely a lot of that. Um, I don't know. I, I, I guess this is one of those things where it's like, I don't necessarily want to overshare and like step on people's toes, even though I feel like it's, it's sort of over and done with and it, it doesn't really matter all that much, but I, I know some stuff about this <laughs> that are interesting, shall we say. Um, I've also heard interesting things and uh, yeah, I'm also not going to share them, but it's, it's a product that uh, things go wrong on products. That's, that's what I'll say is they don't always get delivered in the fashion you want uh, in the time span you want and not everything is always going to work out. And that's a reality for all companies, no matter how good you are at production. Sometimes shit just doesn't work. I mean, there's how many infamous canceled games or games that like eventually happen that are just in no way living up to the hype yeah there you can point out throughout gaming's history and i think it's going to happen to every company and spell slingers uh didn't capitalize on the goals that it was set out with i would say yes i play a decent amount of mobile games will at least like try a lot of them too and Mm -hmm. especially things that are related to ips that i enjoy and I, so I tried to do the whole like beta thing and it just didn't work. And then I just kind of quit. Um, mm. But that was, that was going to be like a paid gig was to play and give feedback and whatever. And, you know, tracking my hours and all that stuff. And then I just didn't do it. And I like money, you know, but it was, it was just like kind of frustrating for the stuff to like not even work. And then this game came out. I was like, Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, again, like was released. I mean, this says without fanfare, which to me speaks to like the player base or whatever. But I also know that it was sort of like Ninja released. Like they didn't really announce it or advertise it all that much. But like, no, they didn't. I found out about it and then downloaded it and then just literally never opened it. It's, it's still on my phone, but I never opened it. I'll go one further. I never downloaded it. Yeah. I don't know why I would. Like if I want to play Magic, I would play Arena. It's it's not magic though. That's the thing. And then I'll play one of the other games. Word. I mean, the game could be good, right? In theory, it could be. But I, you would hear about it if it was. Like it would. Right. It would just. It would succeed. That's that's the way this stuff works. And maybe it takes time. And maybe two years from now, Magic Spell Slingers will be a great game. It's you know weirder things have happened. But I think I would have heard about it by now if it was really worth diving into. The funny thing is, I used to know almost everyone who is working on the team now i think i know literally no one i have no idea who's even on this anymore is there still a team that's like actively developing it i mean the fact that it released and i assume has new content i don't know if it has new content or not i mean someone's got to be working on it uh whatever august 11th secret lair drop series ah here we go Lil geary saves the day at first i read this when i was going through as little girl saves the day and i was like oh cool uh Cause there's like the little girl card in one of the unsets. And I was like, Oh, that's a, a weird 
weird throwback, a deep cut. But this one, even weirder. There's just a Onigiri thing that became uh, an arena avatar. I I don't know the the story behind this. I don't either. <laughs> I can't I can't even guess. I mean, the cards are like they're kind of cute, I guess, and like. I mean, is this like a thing that a lot of people are fans of, like taking onigiris that are personified and putting them into odd situations? I I, I don't know. I have have no idea what to take away from it. I I assume that this has to be. Oh, my God. I just tried to click a link and got 404. And there's another thing about how the website was overhauled and a bunch of links got killed. I assume that. They're, they're all done by the same artist. This has to be like a manga or, you know, like light novel series or something. It has to be something. This, yeah, n- nothing is is pointing me in that direction. I understand that's the expectation. I can't find anything that tells me that. Okay. I don't know. Well, I don't know what to make of this. I tried to click on the article. It didn't work. August 18th, yearly announcement day. Cool. I'm not going to click that link. I don't know. I feel like every day is yearly announcement day august 28th release of secret layer drop series august super drop 2022 let's click on that let's find out what's in here we have in here a bunch of artist series imaginary friends dan frazier is back again the allied talismans dan frazier is back again the enemy talismans in memoriam jaya ballard showcase dominaria united and then two artist series Doing anything for you? These talismans are wild. Yeah, I mean, they are. I I just don't know why they (laughs) they have to exist, but I I guess I I mean I guess they are very popular commander cards. So okay, cool. Uh, September 9th, release of Dominaria United. Standard rotation happens. Theme boosters are replaced by jumpstart boosters. Okay, Uh, includes Lost Legends and Legends Retold. Okay, I don't know. I assume Lost Legends is that's what they call putting the Legends cards into the packs. Oh, okay. Yep. But yeah, I Dominaria United did not live up to original Dominaria for me. I, I thought it was fine. Again, it felt like a very middling set. And maybe this is like some of the fatigue of making a million sets is like at some point, like, where are you focusing? What are you making sure is a banger? And is there enough energy being put towards like these core releases or are they getting sort of supplanted by the other stuff? I don't know the answer to that, but uh, this came up a little short for me. It's, it's just my main takeaway. It's it's always hard to return to a plane that was, I mean, obviously like Dominaria has been the setting for a lot of sets, right? But the Dominaria with Teferi was well-beloved for uh, like limited and constructed yep. and just, you know, the themes and everything. And yeah, really good time in magic competitive right. spaces. And it's like, okay, look, let's, let's just run that back. And it is really hard to capture that magic. And it's, it's, you know, like watching frozen two or some shit. It's just like, mm. I mean, yeah, it's, it's fine. Like, but it's, it's not the same. Right. And how, how do you do that? You know, it's just it's also dangerous to do that, because when you return to a setting that is beloved, if you don't deliver, there's going to be a lot of feel bad. And I think that there was a lot of 
like maybe trepidation is the word for like the return to Kamigawa and everything because, you know, widely beloved plane and setting and set and everything. But also one that sold really poorly, which was another part of the equation with that set. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's why it took 15 years or whatever to go back to 17 years. And, but like they delivered and part of it was by like changing things up a lot, right? Like 1200 Mm -hmm. years into the future, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, maybe that's what you have to do. You can't do basically exactly the same stuff where it's like, Oh, here's another Dominari said about how like legends matter and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, This felt very samey to me. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. So this, this feels like it would have been the second set in a block or something. Not, not like, Oh, this is going to be the new banger Dominaria thing. Uh, I, I think, I think it was, it was good, but it's, it's a sequel, man. And like the sequels are just almost always pretty bad. Empire Strikes Back would like to have a word with you. But other than that, yeah, I agree. I mean, sometimes, sometimes, sometimes you hit, but a lot of the times it's a miss. And that's that's also like not really a sequel, right? It's like part of a fucking nine part series or like that million, million part series if you want to delve part. really deep into it. Yeah. So I don't know. That, that doesn't necessarily do the same thing for me, but whatever. Uh, September 25th, Sam Rolf wins Arena Championship 1. Congrats, Sam. Cool. All right. October 1st, Secret Lair Drop Series, Liller Walkers. This one I did look at because I was curious. And I I like chibi stuff. And these are really well done. I especially like the Narset Parter of Veils. But I don't know. I also like the Narset. I feel like we sort of did this already. Like we did the anime walkers the first go around and they felt a little bit more special. And again, it sort of feels like dipping back into the well with a different art style for sure. But, uh, you know, trying to do this again. And uh, some of the selection of Planeswalkers is a little off to me, like OG Garrick, Sarkin Ball. Uh, I agree. That, that was feel like strange choices. But on the whole, you know, just an, another niche product for people who like this particular art style, like these planeswalkers and uh, pretty easily ignorable. Not a lot of takeaway for this one. Uh, This is one of the things where if they just kept doing this, I would not care. I would be pretty happy about it. Sure. Um, I'm not, if I, if I were actively competing in tournaments, I I might get those Narsets, for example. Right. But uh, I also have the, anime version one so again it's kind of the same thing where it's like i already have like a a cool version of this and now you're just coming out with a different one like do i yeah those versions are made less cool less special because there's more like you can you can they were they were so like iconic and special and unique at the time and nothing is iconic special or unique anymore so comic books etc all right, what is what is this thing? Uh, October sixth, release of Alchemy Dominaria on MTG Arena. Great. Nah, I can't talk anymore about Alchemy. It doesn't exist. Lol. October seventh, release of Unfinity. This was a big lull for me, and uh, a moment of, again, a little bit of jumping the shark, making these eternal legal cards. Uh, you know, Space Jace, uh, various other cards that have all seen play in Legacy. It's kind of a mess. This set is kind of a mess from what I've heard. Uh, this set really clogged up the supply chain, like a lot of it not getting sold and just sort of being a big flop. I 
I can't confirm that. That's just kind of secondhand information I've gotten about Unfinity. Um, curious if you've heard anything along the same lines, but it stickers, of course, part of this set. There's just so yeah, so many things here that did not seem like a good idea, and uh, I think we're ultimately proven not to be a good idea. I think you can do. This is one of those things where you can do one or the other where it's like, okay, you could do stickers or you could do these cards are legal in legacy, but you should probably not do them both. Sure. Right. Yeah, just do less, do a little bit less. It's okay. So I don't know as far as supply chain stuff. I don't know. Uh, I, I vaguely remember hearing like people not really caring about it. I definitely remember hearing about people being, up in arms that stuff was legal in legacy because it was, it was weird or whatever, but and it was good too. That was, I mean, that being the bigger problems, the stuff was just good. Was it good though? That was, that was the thing where I was for most of it. I was just like, who cares? Cause like no one's going to play with it. And if they do like the deck's going to be bad. So it doesn't really matter. Nope. The sticker cards saw play 100% space. Jace absolutely was being played. Now, was it correct to do so? I, I don't know. No, I don't. But again, that's what I'm saying. Like if it shows up because someone wants to be wacky, then who cares? No, it showed up in like serious competitive. Like I, I know it was a big thing at eternal weekend where these cards were doing very well. And like, I, I think, I think I am not a hundred percent sure on this. So someone can correct me or add some color to it. I do think space Jace was featured in the actual finals of either the vintage or the legacy championships. And you know, that's, that's a crazy place to be. That just leads me to believe that, uh, people are, are not bringing Cosmo. Cosmo was another one that was seen play in multiple places. The like dog planeswalker where you roll the dice. Maybe that's the one that was present in the, uh, eternal weekend championships. But I, I know one of those planeswalkers was dude. You said, you said Cosmo. The first place my brain went to is Marvel snap snap. Yeah. It, it may, it may even actually not be Cosmo. I might, I might is, just be saying the Marvel snap name. Yeah. Which is literally a space dog. So I don't know. Yeah. I was like, I, sh- shouldn't someone get sued over that? I don't know. Whatever. Uh, okay. No, October. No, I want to know if I'm thinking of the right card. October 7th. You do some Googling, uh, release of universe beyond Comet. it's Comet stellar pop. Sorry. Comet and Cosmo. Yeah. What a, what a world. Yeah. Uh, October 7th release of universes beyond Warhammer 40 K commander decks. Uh, yeah, apparently these did come out. As I said, this was one where I heard a lot of positive stuff and a lot of Warhammer people very excited about these. This seemed to be like sort of the big hit of the universes beyond. Oh, lineup. oh, okay. So you're, you're talking about dual decks. Yeah. Commander decks also obviously fine. Yeah. Right. Sure. Yep. Cause you know, yeah, you you buy it with your friend that you play Fortnite with. You jam some games of Magic. Maybe you're like, cool. hey, this yeah. this was not bad. Maybe I'll go uh, buy some Dominaria or whatever. Yeah, that's probably the correct answer. More than dual decks, honestly. Uh, commanders commanders complicated though. Yeah, like but dual decks don't translate well into other stuff. Whereas you get like these commander decks. I, I assume the the Warhammer ones came with Soul Rings or whatever, right? I think so. Yeah. So whatever. October fourteenth, game night, free for all. Release of Game Night Free For All. No idea what that is. I think it's another Commander product. I think. I'm, I'm looking. No, five balance, 60 card pre-constructed decks. That's all I got. Multiplayer play, but not Commander, I guess. Good luck. Yeah, I don't know about this one. Good luck getting that to take off. October 17th, Secret Lair Drop Series October Super Drop 2022, including the Warhammer 40k Drops. 
Let's see what else we have oh, in this we got- one. Is this, is this all 40Ks? It looks like nah. oh, a big one here. This is this is a big one, a big moment in Magic's history. We have totally spaced out uh, Warhammer 40,000 Orcs, Warhammer Age of Sigmar, Blood Bowl. Then we go to the weirdest pets in the multiverse, the space beyond the stars, if looks could kill, special guest Yoji uh, Shinkawa. Again, a second special guest, Yoji Shinkawa, one in English, one in Japanese. Special guest, Junji Ito. Again, English, Japanese. And then the moment that all of magic has been leading towards. It is, of course, the Post Malone backstage pass Ah. skin cards featuring Post Malone. And then Post Malone, the lands, where you finally get to open your hand, see no posts, and Malone again. Right. I I had an inkling from looking at the art of the Shinkawa ones that it was Metal Gear Solid. And that is correct as artist. Oh, okay. Metal Gear Solid. Junji Ito. I, I don't know if Ito was like widely beloved by the magic community, but certainly like after having some cards, it seems like they're widely beloved. So that's cool. The Stitcher's supplier is very creepy. Omar Rayvan. Rayan. I think I think Junji Ito is one of those artists that where his art almost transcends his genre and I, I like I've seen his stuff featured on like hoodies and shirts okay. and just I, I I think he's big enough to be just a, a really big score for magic maybe again that's shaped by my personal spheres but yeah uh the, the totally spaced out ones look cool but they're also sort of in black and white but at least they're all lands mm-hmm. so that kind of makes sense okay. they also have galaxy foiling yeah which Looks good, at least for the I don't know, like the hover over card image. I don't know how it actually looks in foil. It could be mm-hmm. could be good or bad. I don't know. Yeah, you, you did new stasis art. You can't do that. That's not allowed. No, OG stasis for life. That's one of those things. It's like it's too iconic to change. It doesn't make any sense. But I agree. Love that art. They they should do whatever they can with Post Malone because again, massive audience likely a different pool of folks that are not necessarily into magic. Um, so whatever, that, all that stuff is fine, but yeah, I agree. I, I also mostly like post Malone too. So I, uh, I make fun of it a lot, obviously, but it, it's a, it's a fruitful partnership. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it is for him. Maybe it isn't. I don't know, but whatever. I expect it's a fruitful partnership. October 20th. Magic Online officially transfers from Wizards of the Coast servers to Daybreak Saver servers. Uh, I just recently updated Magic Online on my PC, which included a full uninstall and reinstall because of the server transfer. Mm. So if you have any interest in, you know, maybe you're just like, oh, I'll try and play in like this challenge or whatever, uh, and you haven't opened Magic Online in a while, make sure to do that. But yeah, they gave... Uh, everyone with the Magic Online account, a free Vintage Cube draft. So I, I got on Discord with a buddy of mine and played some of those. And uh, you know, it is one of the few times we're having like 25 Moto accounts pays off. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. You just got to draft Infinite. I did. I, I didn't even use them all. Wow. Still have Blessed. plenty in the bank. And I, I still got it, man, I got to say. Good. Uh, <laughs> I, I have not observed any real, like some small customer service stuff. I know uh, Tarek Patel was posting about a pretty humorous situation he had dealing with Daybreak customer service. Tell me more. The other day. Uh, it was just basically like they 
<laughs> something happened where he he purchased the like they have those passes where you just get access to every card. He purchased it for the wrong account or something. Whatever. He tries to like revert it, and their solution is to like ban his account until April or something. <laughs> I, it was oh. very, very odd. Yeah, oh. but it got it got corrected. It was very weird. You can go follow Tarek and see what he was going through, but ultimately got sorted out. Um, how, I, I think the impact of this has been pretty minimal. How is that your response? Like, is it was that the, what they're what they planned on doing, or was it just oh, I clicked the delete account button instead of the no? Rest? That's I think that's what they plan on doing, and they the, someone else responded today that the customer service rep misunderstood the situation and it's been corrected. So, well, clearly there was a misunderstanding, but I oh, I hope so. Yeah. I don't understand how that was your interpretation of the situation, but whatever. Me neither. Anyway. Uh, October 28th through the 30th, Magic 30 convention, the ultimate celebration of three decades of Magic Gathering. Nathan Stoyer defeats Ely Cassis in the 2022 World Championship, becomes the new world champion. Nathan, very good, works very hard. Cool to, to see him crushing. I, I think it's, I, I might have said that almost verbatim after it happened. It's really interesting. Like, part of the narrative would be like Nathan young gun new school part of the arena age but obviously if you've played any magic online over the past i don't know however long nathan's been doing it you you recognize nathan's name from deck list winning tons and tons of events on magic online just like a kind of an og magic online grinder for the past few years and made the shift to the arena platform very well so like this sort of stands out as like the new blood in this list of players, but again, just a dedicated magic online player. So not really like having come through the arena system or anything like that. He's been playing for like eight years, man. Like he was, he was going to like all the GPs that I went to, you know? Yeah. As, as I mean, however, 11, 12 years, however old he was at that point. Right. Yeah. Super young. Like you can, you can find pictures of him as a literal child in, in the feature match area and in like top eight of GPs and stuff like that. Uh, so yeah, not not a new player by any any stretch of that definition or whatever, but uh, kind of I guess like a, a new human, you know, like pr- relatively young, definitely. Fair but, enough. Yeah, but it, but has been playing for a long time and has been putting in a lot of work and has had very very good results because he knows his shit. Like he's he's really good. One hundred percent. Uh, November 1st, Secret Lair, 30th anniversary countdown kit. I have no idea. This was the one with like good cards in it. It was just 30 pretty good cards, uh, ostensibly pretty good value, uh, sold out very, very quickly. And what a lot of people use to contrast the selling of like the 30th anniversary booster packs with how, how difficult it was to actually get your hands on one of these versus how difficult it was to go ahead and order the 30th anniversary packs wild art on a lot of these. Yeah. Yep. Uh, a lot of, a lot of pretty solid cube cards is basically how I would describe this. Yeah. I mean, I think those are commander cards now, but I, I see what you're getting at. Uh, ponder wild mongrel, Lynn civy trade when right now, like these are, these look more like cube cards to me, but maybe, maybe obviously there's going to be some crossover. This is this is the coolest version of Heritage Druid I've probably seen. Yeah, beautiful art. I, I mean, look, these cards are. I like this Bloodbraid quite a bit as well. Um, <laughs> okay, uh, yeah, this this Siege Rhino is something else. That is an interesting one. 
That is an interesting one. It looks like those black light posters everyone's creepy uncles had in like the the nineties. Yeah. Uh, there's like a, a oh yeah, Chibi Nicobolus by the same Chibi artist. There's a lot of cool stuff here for sure. Arclay Phoenix looks cool. Wild Shark Typhoon that doesn't look anything like a Magic card. Yep. Elite Spellbinder just already getting rid of Paulo's face, as is tradition with the invitational cards. Yep. Just gotta just gotta wipe them out oh, immediately. Oh man. All right. Next one. Uh some Pioneer Challenge decks. Challenger decks 2022. Warsaw Humans. Is it Phoenix? Gruel Stompy Demir Control. All right. These are, are a good thing to exist. These these make some sense, unlike the last standard challenger decks. And I I would focus most of my attention on making these pioneer and modern challenger decks in the future. Non-rotating stuff. Always good to make new entry points for that stuff. I wonder who made these. Uh, when when I was at Wizards, I worked on some of this stuff, but like we we weren't doing like challenger decks at that point, which is really sad because I would have loved to work on these. Yeah, I think that would have yeah, been this, that would have been this type awesome. of stuff is it's fun to do. Yeah, uh, I was I was doing like the intro packs where it's like, you know, what of like one of and two of common and uncommons do I include in this very very introductory product and what is my word count supposed to look like and stuff like that. But it's like, how do I make kind of like budget versions of competitive decks that I, yep. are playable out of the box? Like that, that would be badass. I would like, yeah, that. no, that is cool. I'd probably be pretty damn good at it too. Just saying, uh, November 4th, secret layer drop series, extra life 2022. So again, another charity one, how much 50%, 50%. of all proceeds. Okay. Yep. Who knows? Who knows if that's, that's what we're looking for or not, but, uh, you know, same exact same points hold true as, as discussed with the, uh, the pride secret layer. Oh, this is the one where it was like, they drawn by children. Yeah. Drawn by children. And then an artist did like, a, you know, like their interpretation of the, the child's drawing. So that's, yep. That's cool. It is cool. Uh, dude, what else we got? We're, we're getting there. We're getting towards we're the close. end. We're close. We're uh, close. And a lot of, a lot of these are things we've talked about a bunch already too. So we don't have to rehash it all. Yeah. November 8th daily MTG website receives a major overhaul, obsoleting many older articles and causing massive link rot on this wiki. <laughs> so a little editorial flair there. And yeah, for example, I tried to click on Logiri saves the day magic 30. No good. Huh? 404 page not found. Damn. Uh, dude, I, I hate that so much because I, the amount of people that do this has to be astronomically low. But like I would think of a random tournament and then want to go back and uh, look at the coverage of the event. And I, would, I do that all the time. OK, literally all the time. I And I've, I've done it like with people as well. Like it, I, I don't know. I think if you're maybe it's isolated to people from like our era. But absolutely, I think that's something that gets done. And I, this is actually like a real shame to me because a lot of the history of the game right. is archived via that stuff. And a lot of it is disappearing. And I've, I've even had it come up where like, uh, you know, I wanted to find my deck from a pro tour and I, I know it was there at some point. Like there was just a full list of every deck played in the event and it was gone. I couldn't find it anymore. And Ooh. all right. Yeah, it's sad. Basically, I was always sad whenever like a single link was broken, you know, and now it's just getting to the point where a lot of it yeah, is gone. Maybe they're, they're all just broken. They're all just destroyed. So, okay. Now yep. 
I'm I'm googling, googling around trying to do the thing that you were just talking about, basically. Like I remember uh, my first individual pro tour. So my first pro tour was a team pro tour, but my first individual one was extended, and it wasn't the fun extended. It was like the bad extended after the dual lands rotated. And mm-hmm. I'm even googling like pro tour Houston 2002 coverage and. Not getting anything, right? No, it's like yeah. mtgtop8.com with like the top eight deck list or whatever. And it's like, oh my God, that's not. I think a lot of it is gone. I did the same thing with my first pro tour, which was uh, also extended Amsterdam in 2009, 2010. And I could not find, there was some stuff, but I, I couldn't find the deck list anymore. Anyway, this was an event where, oh my God. So there's a, a YouTube link to I, I think probably a top eight match or something and then in the description they linked the archive and i'm clicking on it and just like can't be reached so yeah no it's, good yep. yeah, it's, it's, it's mostly gone man yep so this this is incredible because that tournament uh i described my deck as literally the third worst deck in the entire tournament because they posted all the deck lists and I went through mm. and I looked at them because after the tournament, I knew exactly how bad my deck was. And yeah, there were just two people who I thought like, all right, their deck is even more of a joke than. Well, I, I really like to see their decks now. One of them included nether spirit counterspell and beast attack. And they're, they're all attempting to be castable and the mana was not good. Like for example, yeah. I, I played a three color Alluren deck and you had polluted Delta, but no dual lands, right? So you're fetching like Island Swamp. And then I think I had like eight forests in my deck or something and like some City of Brasses. And yeah, that's tough. Yeah, there were like pain lands and stuff. But yeah, like Counterspell, Nether Spirit, Beast Attack was kind of the way I described it. I guess it was like Rewind was the card that I would use instead of Counterspell, which I don't know if it makes the deck sound better or worse because Rewind Beast Attack is kind of badass. Not in extended, but right in <laughs> like a, a cube, like a lower powered cube that might be nice. Yeah, yeah, battle box or something, you know. Sure. Yeah, my deck was it was just really bad. It was just in- incredible, like how how bad it was. And I learned a lot from that experience, and certainly had to like rethink how I was approaching things because it was like I had a reasonable frame of an idea, but. I a didn't understand some of how my deck worked, like some of the things that made it good. Like there are cavern harpy tricks with Aluren to like beat Seal of Fire that I just didn't know about. Mm. You know, like you play a cavern harpy, put the gating on the stack, response pay a life, so it's in your hand. Then you play your thing, and then whereas if you play your thing, then you play your cavern harpy, they just kill your thing with the harpy on the stack. Yeah, but this way you always had protection. It's like I didn't, I didn't know that until like round six when I saw someone else. Oh, that's yeah, that's a huge swing. Yeah, and then uh, everyone else had like the Havenwood Battlegrounds and like City of Traders, and like I just didn't have any of that stuff. So like my deck was just like so slow and so garbage, you know. And I think my combo was also an extra piece for some reason because hmm. I, I just didn't do the research. You know, I was like mostly yeah, going yeah. off of old deck lists or whatever. But obviously, like a lot of new cards have been printed and stuff, so. Yeah, learned learned a lot, and okay, now that piece of history is gone, and I can no longer show that to people. And when I say I had the third worst deck in the Pro Tour, they're like, "Prove it," or whatever, or like, "Now I'm curious," and I just I can't do it, and that sucks. Yeah, it's sad. Uh, November eighteenth, release of the Brothers War. This feels like 
you know, not that long ago. Retroframe Artifacts, Universes Beyond, Transformers. I think you skipped two, but I'm oh, did I? mostly okay with Oh, it. no, yeah. I did. Yeah, November 14th, Bank of America <laughs> warns that Hasbro is, quote unquote, destroying the long-term value of Magic Gathering by overprinting cards. We did talk about this. I don't know how much you want to talk about this. Nope. I've studied at length. People who are still engaging with this are purposefully misstating the conclusion of this report in my eyes. And I, I, I can't battle them when they just are being obtuse. So Yeah. November 17th, release of Secret Lair Drop series, Look at the Kitties. This is a thing that I think is, uh, you know, targeted at people like me. Still not going to buy it. So I think you're uh, maybe kind of failing. But I do think that uh, people do like putting like cats and dogs in their commander decks and stuff. But I'm not going to, I don't know, put like a random card in my modern deck. So these are extremely cute and I have no interest in them. Yeah, I I think it's awesome. I'm glad that it exists. It it, like it kind of should be for me, but it's not for me, which is weird. But okay, so Brothers War. Retroframe Artifacts, Universes Beyond Transformers. Uh, again, poking around on Arena, went to the store, looked at some of the stuff that they had for sale that I was never going to buy. you get yourself an Optimus Prime? No, the, some of the stuff that I was never going to buy in a million billion years. And yeah, the, the cards do do like weirdo Transformer animation stuff. And it's like, damn, why wasn't any of that bandwidth put into stuff that actually mattered? But maybe people enjoy it. Maybe... I don't know. I, I don't think I've seen a single person who's been like, yo, this Transformers magic stuff is dope. But not my sphere, I guess. Yeah, not something I've come across. I, I believe it exists, but haven't experienced it. November 30th, lol, release of the 30th anniversary edition of Beta. Is that is that the right way to describe it? Um, maybe that's how Watsi was describing it, but whatever. Price at $999 for four random boosters of non-legal cards. I think referring to this product as like some edition of beta is incredibly disingenuous at best. Agreed. Are you, are you checking updated prices for some of this stuff? Cause I guess I'm kind of yes. curious now. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to see if I can just find a pack. What should I, 30th anniversary booster? I guess. I don't really know how to find what I'm looking for. Two new boosters on sale for $745. So they opened half of them and gave up. Uh, 30th anniversary, brand new 1700 or best offer. Let's, let's shift over to, so uh, it's, it's marked up for, what yeah, I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to completed. Yeah. That, I'm going to go to completed. That is always a better indicator of what a price of a thing actually is. Uh, so here's one booster that sold. This is on December 24th. Not just, just not a huge amount of these on eBay. December 24th, one booster selling for $410. Uh, sealed box was 1560 or best offer accepted. A uh, best offer was given, not the 1650. Okay. Uh, here's one booster pack sold anything. on December 21st for 400. Okay. Here's an entire box sold on December 20th for 1400. So uh, I think they're coming down from probably where they were. Yeah, but, but it, still, it's selling at a markup, at least to some individuals. Somebody, but this is this is one copy selling every like I know, I know. three to four days. So it, you know, I don't have a takeaway in terms of like success failure. It's a huge PR failure, and uh, yeah, we've talked about this a bunch, so no need to go back into it. Uh, December second release of Jumpstart twenty twenty two. I don't even know what's in this set. I love the concept of Jumpstart. I think that trying to saddle every single set with that is it's a lot it's like it's not an easy thing to no it's not not well it's an easy thing to slap together yeah it's not an easy thing to do well and i think like 
the the first jumpstart was such a triumph and had it not been released during the pandemic really could have been a important game changer for magic uh, i think it might have been something that like permeated the culture and you know while you were between rounds or whatever you cracked your packs of jumpstart and played against someone like that that really seemed like a realistic outcome for these decks but these like kind of bootleg versions of it I don't think these are serving anyone and they're just another product to add to the product soup in my eyes. Yeah. Like you get merfolk and rats or whatever. It's like, yeah. eh, come on. I think it, if it, uh, God, that's, that was like the problem with, uh, Runeterra limited for me. And I know that they changed it a little bit where it's just like you end up with X amount of champions or whatever. And they just, they, they give you like, uh, a choice between cards that like, go with each champion but like the champions want to do very different things sometimes yeah you know and so it's like yep. all right i end up with like 20 cards that work together and then 10 that are just like bricks and there's like nothing to yep. do with them total bricks uh and i know that they changed that i don't know what it is now i haven't really delved into that but like if there was some way to mitigate that make it less feel bad where it's just like oh well this this run is just not going to be fun at all like yeah maybe i'll get some wins and be up a pack or something but like i just don't even want to play the games it's just a chore you know, yeah. I, I would want jumpstart. Yeah. All the stuff to potentially work together and either you could spend a lot of dev time making that happen and make it like a once a year thing, or yeah, you could just slap some stuff together and like hope that people don't care very much when they have uh, a Tron and Merfolk deck or something. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think it's going to deliver on the same experience and uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who they're for. Also same. Uh, December 2nd release of the first starter commander decks. God, was that only in December? I've maybe, maybe when it was announced, I commented on it. Cause I think Glenn Jones did something with this stuff, uh, where starter commander decks are such a good idea, especially when more and more people, it seems like are getting into magic through commander, which seems like just an absurd way to get into magic given how complicated it is. Or Dude, that is the problem is I don't, I don't know how, like this is to me, the definition of being given an impossible task. I don't know how you make commander something that is interesting in the starter space. And like looking through this deck and the cards that are in it, man, there's nothing fucking simple about this. Like you cover a million keywords right. and a million rules interactions. And I, that's not to say like I see this as a failure of concept. I think it is a legitimately impossible concept to capture. To to do it really well, yes, I agree with you. But like making a, a simpler version of commander decks does sound like a good idea, given how people are getting into magic. And if if this does like a you know twenty five percent better job at reducing the barrier to entry. I think that that's a win, but yeah, back to me working on the intro packs and stuff. I was another thing that I was cognizant of is like how many different keywords were present in the product. Uh -huh. And also whether or not the cards that I were put, was putting in the product had reminder text on them. We should talk a lot about this next year, <laughs> like the end of next year. I would love to talk more about it, but I can't yet. I have a lot of things to say about the process. Word. Yeah, not not a thing that I would have like taken that job to do or whatever. But when it was handed off to me, I was like, hell yeah, I can do this. And like the the things to think about were pretty interesting. So it, it ended up being cool, you know, and like it ended up being something that I actually like cared about. So yeah. this is similar. We're like, I, I could do this, but I would also I, part of it was just like, I need to know exactly like what my limitations are, or, like what I am shooting for. Like, 
I I would want to tone this down in complication from what it appears that they look like now. But I, I don't think that I would have like the reins to do that. So I, yeah. I would just need like a little bit more direction of like, you know, what, like where, where am I shooting for? Like, that's kind of, there's a I'm huge tension for. too. in in that, like one of the reasons I think original like magic intro products failed is that they stripped everything interesting out of the game. Like they, they took away all these unique interactions. And what I said is actually the best thing I would want to work into more intro decks. And I, I know this is like weird and almost brain shattering would be like a four card infinite combo. Like if you get that into your decks then you're actually displaying the way these, and it has to be like pretty obvious in its flow, like just this right. odd combination of cards. But like you when give you someone show, a dream. yes, when you show what the game system is capable of, the joy in these games often comes from breaking the limitations they place upon you. And this really came to me when I was playing a lot of like the, roguelite card games so things like slay the spire but particularly monster train which is a game i really really love that that was and all i ever wanted to do in those games is like what is the most messed up stuff that i can possibly do yeah exactly correct and that's where the game became exciting and when i started thinking about it that way like giving players the tools to break your game and in intro things is so 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 important you just have to figure out how to do it simply or and or like the hearthstone adventures where you were like building your own deck i don't remember exactly which specific one it was but it was like each one was like you know obviously the enemy has like a bunch of weird power-ups or whatever but you're like going through and drafting like ancestral recalls and like adding those to your deck or whatever and yep. and that was cool to me because i would like keep doing the runs I think some amount because I had to to unlock some stuff or whatever. But like part of it was to like, I want to get to the point where I have you the break experience it. of yeah me doing the most messed up stuff possible because that's a fun experience. Uh, so many games are built on that. Like I said, I've been playing a lot of uh, Binding of Isaac lately, which is like basically the exact same thing where you're just looking for like broken combinations of abilities and you're using like your, your skill at dodging and like understanding the game systems to get there. But a lot of the joy is just in breaking the game in half. Yeah. So give, give someone a dream. Like, yeah, you definitely have to display magic's potential in an intro thing because it can't be just like very bare bones. Like, all right, here are some lands and some grizzly bears or whatever. That's not going to hook anyone. Right. Nope. But there is a way to do it that is simplistic in nature. And unfortunately with the, the cards that exist, I don't think that there, I mean, I'm sure that there is because there are, a lot of knobs to turn, a lot of different like puzzle pieces that you can include to do this sort of like four card combo thing. Or even if it's not like an infinite combo, it's like a thing that does feel like powerful and special. And well, so the, the clearest ones I can point to are things like uh, Cunning Spark Mage Basilisk Collar. I think like setting that up is really good. And then the classic one I always go back to and something that legitimately like made me interested in magic is Thicket Basilisk lore regeneration. Yeah. Like that's kind of stupid and like so many hoops to jump through, but like that showed me, oh man, if I combine these things in this way, look at what this game engine is capable of. You can actually set up things like this and it gave you goals to chase. Right, exactly. So yeah, doing doing that with like intro things where it was like, oh, it has to be standard legal because at that time there was the mandate that if they, if they bought a, a product that wasn't like a master set or something that it had to be FNM legal because like that was how a lot of people were playing magic. And so mm. they, they, they saw that people were having like feel bads where they would like get 
you know, product A and like bring it to a standard tournament and just be told that like they're cheating or whatever. And like LGS people would be very unkind. So that philosophy has shifted clearly now that they're just putting fake cards in all the packs, um, yeah. which which is fine. But yeah, I mean, I, I feel like a lot of those goals are are definitely doable and you need to figure out kind of like, yeah, how how complicated these things can and should be and like whether or not those sort of like combo-y things do hook people. Like there just needs to be like more research done into this or at least put people on it who have either been that player themselves or have talked to those people and have gotten like some idea of it versus like, Oh, just make like a basic product for beginners without knowing like what actually makes people want to stick with it after they consume a basic product. You know, I really want to remember to talk about this next year. I have no (laughs) idea how I'm going to be able to do that, but like maybe when we get to next year's wrap up show, will you, something will trigger in my brain or someone will yell at me. I want to talk a lot about card games and crafting new player experiences because it's something I've been working really hard on and uh, doing a lot of research on, and there's a lot of interesting takeaways. I mean, dude, I think that you and I should just talk about it, period. I I know that- I I agree. When when is your New Zealand trip coming up? I leave for New Zealand in uh, eight days. I leave next Friday. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I know that you're going to be busy with that, but like maybe sometime when you get back, you know, we should just, mm. you know, call, talk about it for a couple hours or whatever, just whenever you get time. That is a good idea. Uh, yeah, and then if it's something that you want to pursue on the podcast too, our hashtag sponsored, not sponsored, <laughs> flesh and blood stuff when whatever your stuff comes out, uh, we can do that too. Love it. Okay, uh, two, two left, not that many, December 5th. Secret Lair Drop Series, December Super Drop, of course. God, remember when it was like one every couple months or whatever? Now they're just like every month, let's do eight of them. No, I can't remember that anymore. Uh, this one, there's actually three, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Twelve for this month. We're looking at Time Trouble 2, Transformers, Optimus Prime versus Megatron, Transformers, Roll Out or Rise Up, Transformers, One Shall Stand, One Shall Fall, Just Add Milk, Special Guest Kaz... Kazinden, Kazinden, Kozinden, Kozinden has two special guests here. Welcome to the fungal mushroom-inspired psychedelic art. Can't believe nobody told me about that artist series. Your uh, your branding, Alexi. your branding is more raccoon than okay than mushroom. Yeah, um, I got to work on that. Well, I I know I would I would give you the mushroom cell like the, the seed rhino. You know, like that was. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a, a lot of what this stuff looks like. Uh, Wizards of the Street, the art of Frank Frazetta, and the meaning of life, maybe, are the cards that we are dealing with here. Uh, again, I'm looking at the art of these, and I have not seen a lot of these. Uh, oh, yeah, the, the Spellseeker one, I remember as uh, it looked like the lady was just flashing. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's the one with the boobs on yep. it. Yep. I have seen that one. That's the only one that really... Uh, Looks like we have some old school planeswalkers, an old school Narset. Jeez, how many versions of Narset are there? A lot. There's a, lot of versions. a mental misstep with a cat on it. I mean, I guess I would have played with this if this was legal in any format ever, which granted it shouldn't be, but we have we have cereal boxes here with a an, a cereal box Ulamog. I think I saw these at some point. I don't remember where. I did too. I couldn't I did not believe they were real, quite frankly. I I didn't know they were real cards. Well, 
It doesn't look like they should be. But they are, Gerald. So... They are. Yeah. Uh, you know, 15 years ago, if you told me that there would be a Transformers Magic the Gathering uh, mini set or, you know, multiple <laughs> mini sets or whatever, where it's like, oh, Optimus Prime double-sided whatever uh, i guess this is just reskinned dark steel colossus whatever same shit i would have been like you know get the hell out of here but here we are and it's in the same secret layer drop as the mushroom based set and the cereal box one all totally reasonable things yeah okay december 13th alchemy brothers war explorer anthology 2 fuck alchemy anthologies are cool i looked at this when i was on arena some of the stuff uh, is great and I'm happy to see it. Reflector Mage, Seder Wayfinder. I mean, Nykthos brings it more in line with the actual format. Yeah, it had to come at some point. Screw that card. Eidolon of the Great Revel was definitely one of the ones where it's just like, look, you know, Mono Red is not the same uh, without like the early aggression or uh, aggression uh, taped up with disruption. So. I imagine that a lot of this stuff is pretty impactful. I have not wandered over to uh, Explorer, but I don't know. Maybe I will. Maybe I'll give some of this a shot because some of the stuff that I was thinking about for Pioneer, I would not necessarily like get on Magic Online and like rent the deck and like spend hours in a queue, but like I might build it on Arena and play a couple games and then just be done with it. Just like test my idea and see what's up. But if the pieces aren't there, then I can't. I think the mental task of knowing what is and what is not legal is just too much at this point. And maybe when we get closer to a complete pioneer, I think that becomes more reasonable, but then it's like the buy-in is going to be near impossible if you're not collecting the whole time. So I, I I don't know. They they need a solution to buy-in problems. I haven't been collecting the whole time, but I have a, a decent amount and I don't think that it would take me a lot to fill in the missing pieces. I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not. It depends how much of it translates over. Like it really is a very good question of like, I mean, I'm saying for me personally, I think that I've been playing like a little bit more arena than you. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, I I had every card up until a point and then I kind of stopped. Right. So I don't, I don't know where that point was, but. And I also still have uh, a bunch of gems from uh, like playing LCQs for something. It was like, Brothers were sealed maybe when I was doing that stuff. And yeah, uh, like those, those events were actually like pretty generous. I felt like, cause I think if you got four wins, if you go like four two, you're like making a K or something and you need six wins to qualify something like that. So yeah, you get gem rich off that. Yeah, it was, it was honestly not bad. It was like, uh, I think I did not qualify or maybe I did and just like, didn't even play in the thing. I don't remember, but uh, I definitely walked away with, you know, well over 5,000 gems after playing in a few of them. So, uh, you know, I got some gems to burn too, but whatever. Uh, I, I think that you're right where it's like a figuring out what is legal, what is not legal, like what's still missing is a, a pain in the ass. But I think it's at the point where it's like close, at least for the stuff that I want to do with Seder Wayfinder, because that was like one of the cards that was was missing like that was kind of the big thing and i think a lot of the other stuff was there but maybe yeah maybe i get on i try and build a deck and i'm just like oh it's missing this thing never mind it's impossible yeah that only has to happen once for me to be like ah fuck it i'm off it yeah and that's all it'll have to happen to me too i'm just saying like now it's getting to the point where it's like oh it's it's like closer but like 
clever impersonator. Uh, I mean, Corsair Crew Fix is a good card, but it certainly doesn't see a whole lot of play in Pioneer. So again, like some of this stuff is like, God, why? Why don't we just put it all on there? Like, why are we taking our sweet ass time and instead doing like Corsair Crew Fix stuff? No answers, Gerald. You want people to play or no? I don't know. I would assume that the answer would be yeah, but you would think so. Yeah. But given all this, the answer is not. Well, quite a year, Gerald, quite a year from top to bottom, a long year, a year that mm, maybe will be remembered as a tipping point. Maybe we'll see. It's hard to know how all this will play out. You know, my general impression is that was a lot, a lot happened there. Uh, Some of it good. Some of it bad, impossible to keep track of, nothing, despite all of these products, nothing that spurred me to purchase, which is really interesting because like, if you go back a couple of years, like I, I have a, uh, my little pony box set in my closet when that was unique and novel and didn't seem like it would be happening all the time. I picked up one of those. I was like, wow, this seems really rare. This never happened before. This has got to be exciting. But it's not anymore. It's not rare, not unique, not novel. And uh, none of this stuff inspiring purchase for me. We'll see how that changes in the coming year. Yeah, I think there's a lot tied up into whether or not you're specifically going to make a purchase. And I don't don't know if you consider buying anything on Arena or even opening Arena to be along the same lines as making a purchase. I guess probably not, you know, if we're talking tabletop stuff specifically but i don't know if, if things change slightly i could see you dipping your toes back in but yeah it's it is it is pretty sad i i also think that i bought some stuff to like play some of the pptqs you know mm-hmm. i like bought some singles or whatever filled out some yeah, i bought a few singles this year but yeah yeah certainly none of these these actual products and if i did it wouldn't be like oh i'm gonna get the entire secret layer i'm gonna uh, it's probably just because I want one of the cards, like maybe the, the Narset or whatever. But like I said, I already have cool, cool ass Narsets. And and those Narsets were a gift to me from Kenji Sumura. So yeah, think, thinking about it, uh, I'm just going to play with those because I respect and love the hell out of Kenji. So yeah, you have the ones that you have attachment to. It's And it's harder to make attachment to this stuff. So I think on the aggregate, 2022 might have been the worst year in my life. Well, uh, that is a dour note to uh, end the podcast on. Was Were we upward any of the time? I I don't know. Whatever. Uh, t- 2021 maybe maybe was worse. I don't know. Like there, there was definitely like some upside to this year, but maybe it's just more and more. It does not feel like things in this space, at least for the things that I care about, are getting any better. And mm. that... I don't know. I think 2020, maybe I had some amount of hope. And then 2021, that hope started dissipating. And then 2022 was the year of no hope whatsoever. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, maybe that's what it is. Yeah. Maybe that's why uh, it was that bad. But I, I hate to contrast it like this because obviously one of my best friends having uh, one of the worst years of his life is going to have influence over how I feel about my year. I had a very good year. See, uh, things that's, trended in a, a nice direction for me. That's the thing, though, dude, is hearing that stuff and just knowing that stuff, like, that makes me feel good. 
Oh, that's good. It, that's it's good. not like, oh, screw you. Like, how dare you have a good year? It's like, eh, maybe when I was 20, I felt that way or whatever. Right, but now right. it's like, I, I want the people that I love to succeed. And, you know, like their, their successes actually just fuel me and make me happy. I love that. So please tell me, tell me about your good year. Tell everyone about it. Yeah, well, no, I just, you know, I got to do a lot of stuff professionally that I'm really excited about and we're still only beginning to like share the first results of that with people at this point. And there's so much in the coming year that I'm just like super excited about. Uh, everything's going very well with my job where like I wasn't, I honestly wasn't sure if I ever wanted to hold another job again. Like I, I didn't know if it was something mentally I could do. Or if it was even something that I was interested in. Yeah, working sucks. And yeah, and to have found like such a good home and to be making a product I'm so excited about has been great. Uh, I'm sure it, it does get a little tiresome to hear my ads, not ads for flesh and blood on the podcast all the time. But it's just from a place of like wanting to share something I'm proud of and something I've that has brought me a lot of enjoyment over the past year. And I want other people to experience the same thing. Honestly, man, don't. Don't stop talking about it. Like, obviously, I don't want this to become a flesh and blood podcast or whatever. But I think the more that we have transitioned into the podcast being more about us as humans, I mean, certainly a lot goes into this, but like, you know, we're, we're making less money than we were, of course. But I think that like it, it resonates a, a little bit more with. I guess like the audience that I, I care more about or whatever. Right. Sure. So yeah, no, like, that's a fine. This, way this, this stuff is a part of your life and that matters. It doesn't matter that it's like, you know, quote unquote competitor to magic or whatever like that. That doesn't bother me. It's just like, it's the same as if you were talking about your lawnmower where it's like, this mm. is not a thing that I, which am, I do do on the podcast. Yeah, so. exactly. That's what I'm saying. It, it's not a thing that I'm necessarily interested in, but I, I do want to hear about your life and your life should be part of this podcast. I also think too, that there is so much foundational knowledge that I bring to this job from magic. And it often leads like me working on flesh and blood leads to me reflecting on magic and frankly, learning about magic in new ways and like in useful ways, I think that are worth sharing. And, you know, sometimes that's not the extent of what I'm talking about, but it, you know, with something like the intro player experience, I just think it is very relevant not to flesh and blood, but the way we think about games in general, yeah. which to some extent, I, our podcast has always been about gaming as much as magic, right? Like there's always been this element of how to game, uh, even looking back at like doing pet game stuff where it was just about the process of gaming. Uh, I, I think our brand has always been broader than just like X's and O's of magic. Yeah, and, and head games wasn't even necessarily competing or wasn't necessarily about gaming. It was like competing. Right. And yeah. that yeah. is so broadly applicable. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's, it's weird where like I've, I've dated people who were not necessarily interested in magic or, uh, you know, games or the going to the tournaments or whatever. But then you talk about the aspects of, just competition in general. And like, that is generally something a lot of people can relate to because like maybe they played sports or whatever. Right. Rode horses competitively. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's where a lot of my support from my wife comes from is that she sees a lot of parallels, uh, from her past experience in, in competing in the realm of horseback riding. Right. So. And you don't necessarily see those parallels until you actually get to talking about it because uh, again, like just drawing on, on my past experience, right. It's like, 
I I would be going to these tournaments and they they would not really get it because it's not necessarily like a thing that has come up in discussion yet. It's just like why I do it and why I care about it or whatever. But like once you actually bring that to the forefront, it's like, oh, suddenly they can relate to that because now yep. now they understand your your motivations and everything, right? And it's for a lot of people too, it's like maybe a thing that has not been a part of their life for 10 years, right? Like they kind of forgot about it. Right. And then it's like suddenly they're transported back to their their childhood you know like high school and college and stuff like that and they remember what it was like and how much they enjoyed that type of stuff and it's just like oh shit yeah like i i get it i understand why you do this now yeah it's and it's something that once it has a hold of you uh it's really hard to let go of as a part of your life like you just kind of always need it there and and i i think i find that from a lot of people right and a lot of people because it's so ingrained in kind of like academia or whatever. It's like, once you move on from that, you don't have an outlet for that. It's just like no longer part of being a grown up or anything. So you, you just sort of like age out of it because society reasons, I don't know. Or, or you become a softball guy. That's the other option. Those are are the two things you can do. No, I mean, there, there's obviously like a lot of different stuff. Like you can join like kickball or any of the, the Frisbee sort of things, right? Like disc golf, whatever. And I, I think a lot of people do that for similar reasons. And maybe, yeah, maybe it's not as cutthroat as you want it to be in like college or whatever, but uh, it still kind of scratches that itch, right? It, but un- until you actually understand the motivation someone has for like doing a thing, like, or if you're not even trying to think like, what is this person's motivation for doing this thing? Like you might not figure it out, but like, I started having those conversations sooner rather than later in relationships, you know? Oh yeah. It's a good idea for as, for as large of a part of your life as it is. And it also just feels good. Like, Oh, okay. Like this person understands me a little bit better, you know? Yep. So absolutely. Uh, I don't shit. How do we even get started talking about this? I don't know. I don't uh, know. Flesh and blood, whatever. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, like a lot, a lot of the stuff is applicable. Head games was applicable. Like I, I, I get it. And I, I was merely poking fun at the fact that it is coming up more, but that's understandable because it's becoming more of a part of your life. And we just talked about the like ad, not ad thing. So right. that's all. It was, it was me poking fun. Don't take it personally. Please keep her. No, of, of course, of course not. Uh, I, I will say that I hope things trend up for you in 2023. Uh, I am always optimistic for you because just cause I know what you're capable of and uh, you know, when you find the thing you want to do, you're going to succeed at it. You just, you just got to find it. And, uh, I'm, I'm always pulling for you. Dude, I know that I'm a badass or whatever, you know, like I, I know that I can get shit done. It's just put, put something in front of me that, that you want to do yeah, that I actually give a shit yeah. about. And, and right, I understand right now, the problem is just, it's, it's hard for me to give a shit about anything. Yeah. Uh, I am. I am hopeful you find something in 2023 and things get off this never ending downward spiral. We've been on for what feels like a very extended period of time now. Yeah, me too. Uh, and you know, just so, so folks are aware it's like, it, I, I am, I'm definitely looking and I'm definitely looking, I don't know, both at the, the reasons why I feel this way and trying to think about what it exactly it is that I, I am lacking that I'm missing that is making it. So I'm not feeling fulfilled. Like to some degree it is, motivation but yeah also it is just like having a, th- a thing that i am passionate about right so i'm I, I recognize what the problems are i am searching for it i am trying not to just languish here but i don't know that, that shit's hard and i i recognize i recognize that there are just like a lot of people out there because society fucking sucks a lot of the time we're just like you know they don't have 
that sort of thing either. And they get by, they make do. They just, but I, I've I've had a taste of that, and now it, it's hard to go back. Yeah, exactly. Now it's it's hard to just be like, all right, I'm just going to start clocking in, doing a nine to five. You know, like that. Yeah. It, it feels like misery. Feels like hell. And I know that that's what a lot of people go through on the daily. And I I'm fully aware that that just may be my fate at some point. You know, and I I recognize that, but. I am fighting tooth and nail to have it not be that because I've been on the flip side of it where, uh, you know, I, I worked shitty jobs for a long time and like shitty careers, honestly. And I, I know how good it feels to be on the side of something you actually care about. And I'm trying to find that thing. It's, it's just really hard, you know, uh, for, for the people who, have not found it. It's like, yeah, you're, you're 30 years old and you haven't found it. You know, it's like you've spent 30 years looking and you haven't found it. So yeah, I'm maybe, uh, trying to condense that into a couple of years or whatever is a, a tall order. I don't know. It is, it's a huge ask. It is. It is. But like, like I said, I believe in you. That's, that's what it comes down to. So. It's like it, it doesn't really come down to like me or whatever. Right. It's like, I can't change my taste or my my cares or anything necessarily no but uh, like part of me believing in you is knowing your tastes and cares and having confidence that there's something out there that is the right fit for you like it it will come it exists it's there you've done it before you'll do it again it I, i know that like it feels out of your control and impossible at times when you're looking for the path forward but I, I just believe you'll find it and you'll come out better on the other side. That's the that's the essence of my belief. Well, one of the things that has me sort of looking at the more realistic nature of the flip side is that I I do know myself as well. And I know that my interests and things that I care about are incredibly niche. So given that, and again, given how long some people spend searching for like a thing that actually brings them joy or whatever, however you want to describe it, it seems pretty likely that I just end up doing a, a nine to five gig that I'm not super enthused about. And like that just becomes my life. So that's me looking at it kind of realistically, not necessarily doom and gloom, right? It's, it is still, it's not the end of the world that I have that option. Right. But that is true. It's not, mm, that's a fine way of looking. It's not at it. preferable to where I would want to end up. Like I just, I want life to, have meaning and feel like I'm accomplishing something. And I'm definitely not doing that right now, but no matter what, I'll be able to survive. You know, I can, I can make a living. It just might not feel good. I hope that's not true. I'm just, uh, that's it. I'm just, I'm just hoping otherwise. I'm hoping you find that thing that fulfills you. Brother, me too. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, man, uh, shit's hard. Obviously it's that it is part of the problem with, with magic is that, I think this is true also for like a a lot of things that people compete in, right? Just like sports. It's like, you just get like so good at like basketball or whatever. And then it's like, what happens if they just cancel basketball or you suddenly can't play basketball anymore? You know, like they're, it's a a real problem. I mean, you look at like post-retirement NFL players. It's a real problem. You've lived your entire life around this thing. And it's like, well, what now? Yeah. And I mean, sometimes in the case of professional sports, like if you are good enough, like they just backed, uh, truckloads of money up to your house and like that's cool um yeah hopefully you have not sustained like any debilitating injuries playing football or whatever but yeah hopefully you can find a career in 
uh, like commentary for basketball or just like doing ad spots for basketball, you know, something in in kind of the same field, but doing something else. And I feel like a lot of those avenues are closed off both by uh, my actions. <laughs> so, you know, that's that's on me for sure. But uh, yeah, just like the, the canceling of like the competitive nature of things where it's just like not as in demand as it was. And that I I feel like I, I didn't really have a lot of control over. No, and you did not. So I put all my eggs kind of in this basket and honestly, I feel like it, it wasn't a bad move. Like a lot of things pointed towards this having longevity and for it to suddenly go belly up is pretty damn weird. You know, kind of unlucky. Happened fast, man. It did. And then it's just like, uh, do you want to, why don't you like do commentary or like write for another website? It's like other websites aren't paying me and I'm persona non grata. So, you know, what am I supposed to do in the magic sphere? Right. I can't really do anything. So, Oh, now I just, I, I wait, I guess, which is, doesn't feel very proactive. doesn't feel like I'm doing a whole lot. I get that. There's, there's virtue in waiting. There's virtue in waiting for the right opportunity. Yeah. I do believe that. Yeah. Just, it doesn't seem like the, the best plan, but I don't know what else to do. Anyway, that's it. That's my life. That's kind of what I'm going through. In the meantime, I just like pet cats and I don't know, play games. Yeah. That's a good feeling. Nothing wrong with a good cat petting. Yeah. Anything else? 2022? No, done with it. Done with 2022. Done with this podcast. Time for 2023. Let's go. Are you stoked? I I hope that you're stoked. For 2023? Yeah. Yeah. The the hardest thing is just like waiting for the fruits of my labor to come to fruition. Where like somebody's like legitimate criticism and I get angry about it. And I'm like, Oh fuck, that's legitimate. And I'm going to answer it, but you got to wait another 10 months. And, uh, it's really hard. It's, it's a really hard waiting game. Yeah. I mean, thankfully you got plenty to keep you busy. So hopefully, I do. hopefully yeah, 2024, I get, to, I get <laughs> to get 2024 all sorted out. Yeah, so. exactly. That's not exactly what I meant, but you know, ho- hopefully your mind's not centered on that and you have enough like, cool stuff going on, which I think you do for sure. For sure. Certainly as that stuff comes up, it's like pretty frustrating. And again, slow nature of, uh, tabletop releases and stuff like that. It's just, it it can be agony sometimes, right? It it sometimes can does feel like it would be a lot easier to like work in a digital space and have things be moving faster, but pros and cons. Pros and cons for sure. Look at alchemy to see some pros and cons. Well, I would hope that if you're doing work in the digital space, you wouldn't do well, I wouldn't make bad alchemy. things. Yeah. There's good people making alchemy. I know, but it's not necessarily like their directive. It is. It is not. So they're, they're just doing what they're assigned. I was assigned to make intro decks, man. You know, it's true, but I bet you made some banger intro decks. Maybe. Uh, I, like, I think I was, good at following the constraints and making them good, but I don't think that they are good intro products for getting people hooked on magic, the gathering. Yeah. But, you need, you need to be the one writing the constraints. That's the problem with that. Yeah. I mean, I could do it. I could do a top down. It would probably just take a while, you know, but yeah. I think that that would be fun. Again, let's have that conversation, man. Check in with me when you're back from New Zealand's and I, I, that, that conversation will probably make my day. I will have a lot of fun with that. So we'll do, let's do it. Uh, and then, I don't know, sometime in 2023, maybe we'll talk about it on the podcast. You know, it'll be great in the wrap up show. Cool, man. Shit. Almost three hours. We did great game. Game. 
Good luck.